You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 546. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at former APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on Black Friday, November 25th, 2022. In today's episode, in Chile, an Airbus collides with a fire truck on takeoff. Fort Lauderdale, a woman tries to board a flight with a gun hidden in a raw chicken. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale around the world in 20 days. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 546 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining us today from her lakeside studio in South... She's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. It's Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. This morning I am a coffee drinking all those things instead of IPA mm. because uh. it's early still, but nice to be here with you all on Black Friday. Great to have you with us as well, and also joining us from his studio, in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, it's Captain Nick. Hi, Jeff, and hi, everybody. Great to be back on the show. Uh, Christmas is coming. The geese are getting fat. Please put a dollar in the old man's coffee fund. Okay. Not great rhyme, but <laughs> well, let's move on. To it. Now, from a place to stand and a place to grow, and a place with lots of snow. Uh, from our studio in Toronto, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hello, everyone. All the snow is melted, though. Oh, but you'll get more. I we guarantee. will. <laughs> yep. Have a good show, you guys. Thanks. We'll hear you in my ear in just a few moments. And uh, in the meantime, let's go ahead and do this. Stand by for news. All right. Our first news item is this from the Aviation Herald. Uh, There was a LATAM... Uh, Chile Airbus A320-200 registration Charlie Charlie Bravo Hotel Bravo performing flight 2213 from Lima to Juliaca, Peru. 
with 102 passengers and six crew, was accelerating from takeoff from Lima's runway 16 at about 1511 local time when multiple fire trucks with flashing lights and sirens sounding crossed the runway in front of the accelerating aircraft. The crew rejected takeoff at high speed at about 125 knots and uh, wasn't able to avoid contact with fire truck number three, which was the lead truck. Although the truck tried to turn around, turning right into the direction of the aircraft, the right main gear collapsed, causing the aircraft to veer right towards the right-hand runway edge, coming to a stop partially off the runway, about 2,500 meters uh, down the runway. A fire erupted around the right engine. Uh, all occupants were able to evacuate the aircraft. Four passengers received serious injuries, and 36 passengers received minor. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. Yeah, ripped the whole darn right engine off. Um and uh, the fire truck was destroyed. Two firefighters on board the truck involved in the collision did not survive. A third firefighter on the truck involved received serious injuries. Uh, let's see. Lima's airport authority reported all passengers were doing well and are receiving uh, the attention of their teams. Uh, according to recordings, the fire truck uh, trucks entered the runway without clearance. Fire trucks have been responding to another aircraft that had suffered mechanical problems. Actually, no, that's not true. At the time that this was written, I think that was the understanding. But apparently it was an exercise that they had planned. And the trucks were to proceed toward that active runway, but prior to it, turn right on a parallel taxiway. Um, and it was supposedly marked with cones and that kind of thing. But apparently... They missed that. They continued past where they were supposed to turn onto the taxiway and proceeded right directly onto the runway right as the A320 was accelerating through 125 knots and the disaster occurred. Um, so that was horrible. And uh, we, you know, it's just, it's hard to see, you know, the airport rescue firefighting people are just, they're heroes. And it's, it's really sad to see these people get caught up in, you know, this kind of a, a tragedy. And, uh, the, it wasn't great for the pilots of the, uh, flight either because they were arrested and held in jail for two days, mm. believe it or not. Um, yeah. One of the reasons why I don't like flying to Foreign countries. Foreign countries. <laughs> I don't want to be arrested. Places where, where just in case I do something wrong. Where, where you know, just standard procedure is a little bit different than yeah. perhaps here. You know, um, no, awful, and you know, it really just kind of highlights, underscores the need for. So, I'm sure a lot of these training type events for airports, uh, ARFF, and whatnot take place typically during you know operating hours. So, the need for understanding of exactly what the exercise involves this is paramount as it is yeah yeah it's not as if these people aren't some of the most professional people oh, in sure. the world mm -hmm. because they spend 99 percent of their professional lives training uh mm -hmm. they they learn that they're only there in one place they're there at the airport they know the airport like the back of their hands they know the procedures uh, and you know, every almost every time they're called out, it's it's for a a training incident, uh, and occasionally you'll get a a fuel spillage that'll need the attendance of the fire trucks, or there might be uh, you know a bit of a wet start or something. But uh, most airports, 
very rarely have major incidents that actually mm. require um, the fire trucks to roll for real um, when, when it's really important they get there quickly. So it's so tragic to see their procedures break down like they did here. So I'm sure there'll be a, a, a very detailed inquiry and I'm sure the personnel involved must be just feeling awful. Mm. Yeah. Definitely a tragedy. And that's one of those things, you know, we try to think about all these different scenarios that might happen when we're rolling down the runway for takeoff. And this is one that I never thought could possibly happen. Hardly think about. You know, yeah. I, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering what was going on in the minds of the two pilots as they're rolling down the runway and they're seeing these, you know, vehicles coming off to the... Surely they're not coming this way. They're yeah. not coming this way. Oh, they are coming this oh, way. Oh, no. This is what do bad. we do now? Yeah. You know, it's too... You're not fast I mean, they all at least from the account that we just read, they did exactly the right thing. But I mean, yeah. you can only do so much at that point, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's funny that in the simulator, I, I you know, I've seen plenty of vehicles entering my simulated runway because sure. that's a pretty common uh, event for the sim instructor at the back to put in, particularly things like go-rounds. So you think, oh, I'm safe, I can land, and all of a sudden you see this <laughs> fire truck <laughs> enter the runway. But it's such a rare occurrence for real um, that, uh, you know, you, you would be completely unprepared for it. <laughs> it's a pretty big piece of kit, a fire truck, so it's going to do a lot of damage to your airplane. When you're talking mm -hmm. about the simulator thing, it's, it's funny, you're coming in and, you know, you're on approach, uh, uh, Roger, uh, uh, go ahead and uh, try to complete your airport inspection. Uh, airport is <laughs> yeah. on a two-mile final. There you go. Okay. Yeah, okay. I get yeah, it. I know okay. what's going we're, on here. It, it comes. We're, yeah. we're, we're gonna, actually, yeah. I like the fact that you, they're doing that because they're kind of basically saying, hey, idiot, you're going to be doing You're going to have a – yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's exactly funny, right. I, you're, you're thinking about all these different scenarios in the place where I fly. Um, most frequently, you know, it's at a, a non-towered airport and a lot of times there's GA aircraft out there that actually may not even have radios. So, um, and there are crossing, uh, runways. So you really have to, um, be pretty heads up. Um, the biggest thing I actually worry about is birds because we have a lot of large hawks and vultures and things that like to hang out right at the departure end slash approach end of the runway that we most frequently use and they're large they get your attention when you go oh. past them pretty close <laughs> uh, <laughs> um you know and then because we have um, people in the air as well and their gear and sometimes cutaway parachutes and what you, you really just we just have to be super heads up all the time. Oh, you'd need Eyes your... outside. I was going to say, on stalks, uh, all those yeah, potential yeah. hazards. All kinds of hazards, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, And we think about those situations a lot because, man, sometimes they show up very last minute and you got to be have a plan for what you're going to do exactly then. And, and coming down from on top, which is mm -hmm. not somewhere we usually... Yeah, scan. you don't usually look up to see things coming down at you. <laughs> Liz makes a good point about the fact that, you know, she really feels for the firefighting folks in the other two vehicles oh, just sure. watch witnessing this and then you know having to go take you know handle like, the situation what do i do now i want to help my friends over here in the but you know the uh, first now priority now is the passengers the airplane passengers Put the fire out yeah yeah. Oh, mm. yeah it must have been a lot of a lot of mixed emotions oh, going sure. on there yeah huh. yeah okay well um yeah, uh, just I'm just looking at the uh, after damage of the fuselage and things. Um, you know that that aircraft was truly on fire, and um, mm -hmm. that's excellent that it didn't penetrate the cabin. 
and uh, start, you know, creating havoc amongst the passengers and that everyone mm -hmm. seemed to get out safely. So that's, you know, in olden days when things weren't built quite the same way to the same standard they are nowadays, that might have been a very different accident. Sure. I did note that there was also uh, some discussion and criticism of the flight crew here because they said, what took them so long? It was like a full minute before they started um, executing the emergency evacuation. But the point has to be made that when this happens, first of all, the startle effect and everything else, you're going, what the heck just happened? But we have checklists to run. We just don't go, okay, everybody run yeah. for your lives. You know, we have to secure well, the Well, and hopefully they were really, you know, just looking at how that, uh, you know, the, the fire and the smoke probably made it very difficult to ascertain right. where the fire was at that moment. So you don't just want to start opening doors where it might be... Mm -hmm very dangerous you know you got to make sure you're proceeding appropriately quickly still efficiently but sometimes it's worth that extra you know half beat of time to make sure that you don't do something rash and right. unsafe and you had those arf vehicles there they're already on scene i mean that right uh, kind of in they're a putting way, the fire was, out already <laughs> and, and you're and you're communicating with them and they're right. telling you know they're going to say yeah you know we you know it's good for an evacuation now or not or you know hang on let's get some of the fire out first you know whatever there's a lot going on or potentially mm -hmm. could be a lot going on so mm -hmm. i don't fault them at all i think they did a really good job here based on what circumstances they were dealt with or they were dealt yep agree okay uh, let's move uh, they, on. but well, you did mention it the pilots were put in custody i mean what is that about uh, I really just have to go, how on earth can your pilots operate and would be free to unburden themselves of the errors they make if they know that they're, they're going to be slammed in jail and they might well be prosecuted? That might be the last time they see freedom for a long time. Uh, you know, the... I thought I hoped I hoped that this the just policy that uh, is reflected in most airlines would have got to the all corners of the world, but apparently nope, not. Not yet. No. Yeah, obviously, Nick. Though they did this on purpose, right? <laughs> yes. <okay. laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to the second item. And this is also from the Aviation Herald, an Ameriflight Swearingen SA-227 Expediter, registration November 247 Delta Hotel. What do you like to call this uh, airplane, Liz? The San Antonio Sewer Pipe. The San Antonio Sewer Pipe. Sewer Pipe. pipe. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, done a show title like that. Do you remember? Yeah, you have. Yeah. yeah. It was very was nice. That, was that the same airplane? I yeah. suppose it must be. Yep. Well, I never... They were performing a freight flight, uh, flight number 7141, from New Orleans Lakefront, Louisiana, to Waukesha, Wisconsin. Waukesha. Really? Sure. Uh, I would say Waukesha. Waukesha? Waukesha. I thought it was Waukesha. I don't know. Maybe it's Waukesha. I don't know. Look it up. I could be, I could be wrong. Yeah. Where's Frank what? when we need him? There's no way. I mean, Steph, if you say it's Waukesha... And that's what it is. I don't know. I'll have to look at it. I'll have to get someone to tell me who knows <laughs> okay. for sure. Oh, uh, okay. So anyway, this airplane with three crew and fifty-three dogs was they were on. to stop the crew from touching anything. <laughs> no, I thought that was monkeys, but okay. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, they were Waukesha. on a Waukesha, you were right. Waukesha. Yes. Yes. Uh, Nailed it. 
<laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> was, was on, oh, yeah, I got to play. Well, I can't find the bell now. Um, was on an ILS approach to Waukesha's runway 10, clear to land on runway 10 when the aircraft touched down at the Western Lakes Golf Club. <laughs> they're going to put in. <laughs> well, tables. they're going there anyway. So let's, let's save a bit of time. Well, at least it was snowy. They weren't yeah. playing golf. Yeah. Oh, got a snowy day. Yeah, she's, that's what Liz says. At least it was snowing and they weren't too many people playing golf, if any. Yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, they were they were cleared to land on runway one zero when the aircraft touched down at the Western Lakes Golf Club, about two point seven five nautical miles short of the threshold of Waukesha's runway one zero. The three human occupants received minor injuries. The dogs are being checked for injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. The local sheriff's office reported there was a fuel spill of about three hundred gallons of fuel following the landing. The aircraft reportedly belly landed on the golf course, went past a number of trees, which ripped the wings off the aircraft, causing the fuel leaks. Um, let's see. Well, it looks like they took out three holes. Yeah. Yeah. They <laughs> touched down on the hole five, went through hole two, and ended up on hole three. Is that yeah. like a par? I don't really play golf, so it's not to tell me about this. So, uh, if you if you follow the Aviation Herald and you read the comments on this, every every single one of them, I think, were doing all kinds of puns with dogs and barking, and it it's it's kind of fun to to read all those comments, but uh, we won't do that anyway. On November nineteenth. Uh, the sheriff's office added that in interviews with both crew, the crew stated that they were fighting to maintain control of the aircraft, but then it took a death dive. They have in <gasps> quotes. The aircraft was being removed on Dramatic. November 18th. Okay. Uh, Human Animal Welfare uh, Society of Waukesha stated that the transport of the dogs was planned. Well, of course. The dogs uh, are to become available for adoption uh, as of a They'll Current, have a story to a tell. triage has been set up by vets to assess the dogs, none of which received life-threatening injuries. I think I read somewhere else. Oh, here, right here in the next sentence. In the late evening, the society reported the dogs unbelievably only received bumps and scratches. Um, and then, as Nick wow. mentioned, workers at the golf club, uh, located a few hundred meters away, saw the aircraft touching down on the fifth green, passing between two trees, continuing across a swamp. Um, <laughs> That's a bit of a hazard on a yeah. golf course, isn't it? Yes, the swamp hazard. Uh, <laughs> then uh, 330 feet across the second fairway, hit and uprooted another tree and came to a stop on the third hole. Turns out they were trying to, they were thinking about removing that tree anyway. Uh, yeah. So that, that was a good they thing. They did him a the favor. Crew were, yeah. <laughs> the crew were trying for a hole in one, but they didn't quite get that. No, it didn't work. Um, so... The the uh, the weather. It traversed, I'm looking at all these pictures now. It traversed all that distance, and it, the plane looks remarkably I intact. Know. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually. No. Um, so obviously, the weather conditions were were not ideal. Um, the uh, there were uh, light snow, yeah, so. uh, 300 overcast, 500 overcast, anywhere from a half mile to three quarter mile visibility in snow. Um, so, you know, icing conditions, very likely, and mm. yeah. it's critical in this type of airplane. Well, it's critical in all airplanes, but um, yeah, that that might, you know, be uh, a contributing factor uh, to this whole thing. So, and somebody said that this airplane has some pretty nasty stall characteristics and they have a, a stick pusher system, I believe. 
uh, for, for it. And, um, I'm wondering if that activated to attempt to, you know, save mm. the airplane from crashing and, and perhaps that did save them from losing their lives. Um, I don't know. your airplane's got a stick pusher. Is there any way you could, if you, uh, you know, had the muscles of, uh, Miami Rick, uh, s- um, stop it from yes. going full push? Yes. You, you can, could, you can, okay. Yeah. You can, you can counter, you can fight it. it. Yeah. Okay. But it's a pretty, it's a pretty high load. I don't know what the exact, you know, foot pounds of force or whatever are required, right. but, uh, Anyway, so hopefully we'll hear a little bit more. I, I have a feeling we're going to learn a little bit more about what happened here as far as the weather conditions and such. But um, they were yeah. lined up perfectly with this uh, ILS approach on runway 10. I can also say that if you look at the Google Earth view of the golf course and the airport, no, the oh. well, yeah, that one's good too. Uh, you can see it's a major interstate right there that Ooh, uh, yeah. they were just about to cross over. So this could have been a lot worse if they had ended up landing on the interstate and could have evolved, involved a lot of uh, innocent vehicles. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good thing, though. Everybody survived it, and the dogs seem to be... Humans and canines. Pretty good. There was a report now that the dogs uh, have a fear of flying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, what I was going to say, with the them. publicity, the dogs probably stand a much better chance of adoption now. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you're right. Yeah, they're all oh, those dear things. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, we have an update on a, uh, oh, this is some time ago, back in 2014. You remember the Malaysia MH17 flight that was shot down by a missile. Um, the joint investigation team, JIT, uh, held a press conference uh, back in 2019, uh, basically naming uh, and prosecuting four individuals, including Igor Gherkin, uh, who appeared prominently 20 minutes after the shootdown uh, by claiming the separatists had shot down a Ukrainian AN-26, a message which was quickly removed from both the separatist websites and all Russian media sites after it became known that the claimed AN-26 shootdown, in fact, was a Boeing 777. I don't know how you Confuse those two airplanes. <laughs> one's Not a small, similar. Yeah. You know, turboprop and one's a very large, you know, twin jet aircraft. Anyway, uh, the, another uh, individual indicted, Sergei Dubinsky, Oleg Pulatov, and Leonid Karchenko. And uh, the reason why we're talking about it now, the update is uh, that on November 17th of 2022, the court in Netherlands, The Hague, ruled that Igor Gherkin, Sergei Dubinsky, and Leonid Karchenko uh, worked together to bring the Buck missile system from a Russian military base to the Ukraine and into position for the launch. There is plentiful evidence that the missile was launched from a field uh, in rebel-held territory. The court reasoned there's no reasonable doubt possible. The court stated that even if the shootdown of MH17 amounted to a military miscalculation, such an error does not change the intent. The three men were convicted for life imprisonment, but are unlikely to serve the jail time due to them living in Russia, which does not permit their extradition. <coughs> Excuse me. Oleg Pulatov, the only defendant represented by a lawyer, was acquitted due to lack of evidence. Prosecution and defendants have two weeks' time to appeal the verdict. Hmm. 
Oh. It w was pretty inevitable, having seen the um, the information that came out during the trial. Uh, it was all very conclusive, having really tracked that missile system through on its journey to that field and then out again. Um, they knew exactly uh, who it was, and uh, they knew they were may, might have been aiming at uh, a military transport, but uh, the fact that there were several airliners flying overhead and the missile uh, was attractive to one of those instead, or perhaps the targeting uh, operators uh, just picked the wrong aircraft, um, is irrelevant. They, they shot down a 777 full of innocent passengers, and uh, those people um, need recompense from the Russian government. And they need to see those men in jail. Yeah. But as I said, sadly, they'll probably never see a day of jail time because no, of the. No. Russia's not even uh, acknowledging uh, mm -hmm. that it right. was anything to do with them, which I think is appalling. Yeah. Well, they've been involved in a lot of appalling things lately. Yeah. Um, Steph, um, yeah. this next news item uh, occurred uh, very close to where you reside and work. Mm -hmm. And uh, would you like to take it? Sure. Um, okay. So this was from Thursday, I believe. Oh, no, Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Today is Thursday. I'm all off on holidays. Actually, today's Friday. Today is Friday. <laughs> See, I have no idea what day it is. If I don't work for a like, day, normal day. schedule, I have no idea. Uh, where am I? Um, <laughs> who am I? Where am I? So, I have no idea. Um, but I believe this happened on Tuesday. Um, so, yes, uh, Charlotte meteorologist and pilot from uh, local news station WBTV were killed in a helicopter crash, which occurred just off of Interstate 77 here in Charlotte. Uh, officials say the two dead. Oh, wait, let me go down here. Um, Let's see. A pilot meteorologist uh, died in a helicopter crash around noon on Tuesday, and just after 3 p.m., they confirmed the victims were meteorologist Jason Myers and Sky 3 pilot uh, Chip Taig. Um, the crash happened in a grassy area just right next to the highway, close to Tyvola and Nations Ford Road, um, according to medic and other emergency officials. Three other people were transported to the hospital. Um, the WBTV family is grieving a terrible loss, the station said in a statement. Our news helicopter Sky 3 crashed midday. Uh, we are working to comfort their families in, a difficult, in this difficult time. Uh, let's go down here. So there's some um, eyewitness accounts. It says, uh, oh, this was from the police chief, Johnny Jennings, from Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police. It says it looks like a heroic incident where the pilot tried to avoid injuring anyone else or putting anyone else in danger. Um, the crash shut down all southbound lanes of Interstate 77 for close to four hours. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a busy stretch of, of interstate very close to where I live and work, and I travel that section of highway um, all the time, know exactly where that was that that happened, and it's, I don't think we have a whole lot of information yet about what caused this crash or any any thoughts on it, but, and I don't know enough about helicopters to know why, you know, they would have not been able to avoid that outcome. So. Yeah, I think it was a uh, Robinson. Robinson. Yeah, did I not read that part? I'm sorry. Oh, you may have. I may have. I may have. Uh, that. This this news story kind of jumps around a lot. Yeah, it, does. it was an R forty R forty four. Yeah. Um, and it happened. It was nice weather that day, so there wasn't any any weather issues per se. It was sunny, light winds. Um, I thought it was yeah. interesting stuff that um, it was a meteorologist in the helicopter. 
for traffic. Does he do traffic reports too? You know, I don't know. I saw a I saw a comment about it, and I don't know if it was true or not, but um, something about a um, familiarization flight for him. Like oh. he didn't normally go up in the helicopter. Oh, wow. and it was kind of a That's yeah. Sad. I don't think that was part of his normal job, normal routine. Mm. Unfortunately, That's sad. Yeah. But, yeah, big news here in Charlotte. Um, you know, there's an, a good outpouring of support for these guys and their families, um, especially so close to the holidays. But All right. Well. Uh, if we find out anything more about it, I, I'm not sure that we'll hear anything more about it. Um, yeah. But if we do, I'll let you know. Sounds like maybe an, an engine failure. I think I, I saw some yeah. comments that he did a great job avoiding, you know, I think he was probably just trying to, you know. Uh, just, yeah, have a favorable outcome. I mean, I, I think probably more than anything, just fortunate that he ended up in the grass right yeah. there next to all four lanes of highway instead of actually on the highway. But um, yeah, you can see from that picture that, that just right off the right. side of the... Uh, highway there you see the, this all the time especially like with military aircraft uh, ejecting oh the pilot did a great job keeping the airplane from doing you know I'm, i think nick will agree well you probably didn't <laughs> probably was plan just that. kind of luck <laughs> oh yeah absolutely just get out of this thing yeah, yeah. uh yeah you yeah. you've no way to tell where the damn thing's gonna go once no. you eject anyway so it's, mm-hmm. i'm afraid it's all a matter of luck yeah okay well this next News item is from CNBC.com, and uh, it involves a, an Envoy Air uh, flight that uh, they they provide um, connection service uh, via uh, American Airlines. And uh, I don't know if they're wholly owned. They're by, wholly owned. Are Envoy's they? wholly okay. owned. Envoy Piedmont PSA. Okay, owned American. so they're wholly owned by uh, American Airlines, and uh, this occurred um just a few days ago uh i think this was also no this is saturday night uh, okay so last weekend okay and uh so what i'm gonna do liz is i'm gonna play the um yep. audio and i'll put and the, then you the feel, slide up exactly okay great we're on the same page yeah all right um so here we go we're gonna listen to some air traffic control audio of this incident Number 35, 56, turn right, heading 040, Roman 2 rain November 5, service takeoff. Hey, right turn 040, clear takeoff, 28 right, November 5, on board 35. And tower on board 35, 56. Can I help you? 6, uh, we need to return, uh, captain is incapacitated. Right, on board 3556, as instructed, go ahead and give me that right turn heading 040. Right turn 040, on board 3556. I maintain 5,000 feet, and now I'm going to ship you to Chicago departure on 125.0. We're going to get your resequence right back in. 25 And departure on way 3556, 4,000, 5,000. Envoy 3556, Envoy 3556, you're returning, is that correct? Affirmative, as quick as possible. Captain is out. Envoy 
3556 Chicago approach, Roger, expect the visual approach, runway 28 center, they give you discretion to 3, is that right? Yep, and we're out of uh, port, uh, 4800 for 3000. Okay, and uh, did you have any information I need to pass along to the tower in terms of uh, paramedics, gate number, any of that? I know gate number, and he's knocked out, we're going to need paramedics uh, working on everything right now. Okay, thank you. Convoy 3556, we can turn base just as soon as you'd like for the visual approach. You let me know when. Let's start it now for 3556. Okay, Convoy 3556, right turn heading 180 down to 2500. Call the airport when you see it. All right, heading 180 down to uh, 2500, Convoy 3556. Convoy 3556, right turn heading 250. Let me know when you see the airport. Heading 250, Convoy 356. Port side for Convoy 3556. Way 3556, Roger. Clear approach, runway 28 center, speeds your discretion. Clear visual 28 center, runway 3556. Way 3556, contact tower now, 120.75, we'll see you. Way 35. Tower of way 3556, is visual 28 center. Way 3556, O'Hare Tower, wind 290 at 13, gust 20, runway 28 center, clear to land, and just advise if you need any assistance. Clear to land, 28 center. Um, and uh, we'll exit. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to have to move the captain from the seat and get to the gate. Roger. Probably 3556. If able, advise if you think you'll be able to clear the runway or not. I'll be able to clear the runway probably 3556. Roger. Thank you. Probably 3556. When able, make a right turn to exit the runway, and then whatever is easiest for you, if you want to make a left or a right turn on top of whatever works. I'll try to make a right turn on pop and I'm going to stop the aircraft so I can get in the left seat. And uh, just advise if you want paramedics out there now or if you want to do what you need to do, just let us know. Roger that. Probably 3556, do you think you can continue on Papa and hold short of golf call? Probably 3556, do you want us to send paramedics out to you? Uh, negative. Uh, we're going to go to the great uh, limit 23. Uh, but I don't know how we would get them out uh, of the aircraft. Okay, uh, sustained tension. Yeah, we're going to stop here real quick. I'm going to get in the left seat and then taxi to Lima 23. Roger. Okay, and that was uh, via live ATC. I took out all the gaps and uh, extraneous uh, communications there just to kind of compress it a bit. Um. So, uh, yeah, very sad. Uh, the captain was, I believe, on uh, his IOE, his initial operating experience, getting checked out as a captain first time on uh, this aircraft, uh, uh, Embraer 175, I believe. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And um, the first officer, the pilot monitoring, was a line check captain in the right seat. And that was the voice that you heard uh, in these um, communications. And uh, looks like it was just something that occurred in the midst of their takeoff roll and initial climb. And uh, uh, I've, I've seen a couple points that uh, people were uh, offering criticism uh, of this uh, line check airman by not declaring an emergency or a medical emergency, but... I think also the argument could be made that they were um, aware of what was happening there and, and all of the things that they would have been able to offer. I mean, I could be wrong about this, uh, but they were already offering. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, they got... I think um, the statement that the captain is incapacitated, need to return to the airport, got everybody's attention very right. quickly, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah. Air traffic controllers can effectively declare an emergency for, for you. you if mm -hmm. they perceive the situation to be an emergency situation, which I'm pretty damn certain is exactly what happened. Otherwise, they wouldn't be offering all these emergency services. So the formality of declaring an emergency is icing on the cake. Yeah. Uh, I think they also recognize that... I don't think it would have anything. They recognize that this line check captain now has a ton to deal with. You know, he's flying the yeah. aircraft by himself. He's got someone who's incapacitated in the other seat. And, it, you know, we've kind of talked about stuff like that before. But if you have someone who is, is you know, effectively um, could be weight on control surfaces, you know, you have to think about that and manage that. If they move or shift in some way, that could affect the, your ability to control the aircraft. Um, you know, they're certainly trying to I'm sure he was trying to coordinate with the company. What do we do? Do we go back to the gate? Do we get paramedics out there right away? What's the best course of action? What's the quickest thing to do? Um, a lot of stuff going on there. And, you know, the fact that he didn't say, um, you know, mayday, 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 or declaring an emergency or whatever you want to call it is not necessary at this point. Everyone understands what's going on. And I'm so happy that somebody... Uh, didn't ask him, okay, how many souls on board, fuel yeah. remaining? <laughs> yeah. yeah, unnecessary. Yeah. He yeah. literally just took off. He's got lots of fuel, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, oh, and tell yeah. me when you have the latest ATIS. Yeah, no. Yeah. Information. Yeah. Un yeah. Unnecessary. Yeah. Just the important things. Here's your wins. Here's the runway you're going to land As on. As you said, I mean, you, he's, he's coordinating with the company, obviously, to get the yep. gate, and then he's coordinating with his flight attendants in the back. Yep. Is there any medical Medical personnel, personnel? like get somebody, Let, you know. Let's start working on this guy right now. I mean, man, I mean, we're only hearing a tiny little sliver of tiny bit. all of what's tiny happening. Bit. Yeah, this is not the full picture of what's going on in that aircraft at that moment. No. Um, you know, and I, I don't know what happened after landing, but I mean, if, if everything, you know, I've also been in the situation where there has been a medical emergency on board on the ground on an aircraft mm -hmm. and it with a full um, load of passengers, it's very difficult to maneuver whoever the victim is around in the aircraft. Um, I can I actually think it was a reasonable decision to go back to the gate where there would be more room immediately on the jet bridge to do whatever you need to do in that moment, whether it's start CPR, get the AED hooked up, get para have paramedics there at the gate for you so everything can happen very quickly. Certainly you want to make all that happen as fast as possible, but there's some situations where you just got to deal with what you've got at the moment and make the best of it um, to the best of your ability. Some this people. is not this is not an ideal scenario. You know, this person did not have their heart attack in the ICU at a hospital with people waiting immediately to, you know, start working. How inconsiderate. I know. Yeah. You know, that said, though, uh, you know, the updated guidelines for at least from the American Heart Association for CPR and, and things like that, it's it's you want to start CPR, high quality CPR as soon as possible for anyone you suspect of being in cardiac arrest. Um so hopefully that happened actually on board the aircraft. If he was able to get the captain out of the seat and had whoever might be medical in the back, they have an AED on board, get all of that at least set up while he's taxiing to the gate, have that ready for the paramedics. Um, that might have been what was going on. I'm not sure, but that would be an ideal scenario. And this is obviously an airplane that uh, the line check airman in the right seat could not steer with, you know, probably doesn't Correct. have a nose wheel steering no, yeah. on that side of the aircraft. Some airplanes yeah. do, um, but not all. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, there was also, yeah, I saw some comments, criticism, like, why don't, why didn't you just stop there? Let the paramedics come up and everything else. And it's just a stuff just discussed there, you know, there are pros and cons to. Yeah. I think you could probably argue that one either way. And yeah. I don't think either one is necessarily right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, the, knew, if they already knew that they had 
if they already knew they had someone medical on board, they had the AED ready to go, just getting him out of that seat on the ground, start all that while you're taxiing to the gate, have more room in the jet bridge for the paramedics to start their initial work might be a better setup. Mm-hmm. But sorry, yeah, go in ahead, my Nick. experience, you've got to do a lot of coordination to get steps brought to the aircraft so that a paramedic that has arrived on a taxiway can now get on board. And uh, paramedic vehicles aren't necessarily equipped to just drive anywhere on the airfield. So they'd probably need uh, an air op- uh, an operations vehicle to accompany them. All that needs setting up. If all you've got to do is drag the guy out of the seat, climb in, and then taxi it, or better still, an aircraft where you can taxi it from the right-hand seat, you can much easier to drive straight to the gate where you know you're going to be able to get access to the doors. Um, And the other point I was just going to mention is that the cabin crew, of course, are trained probably every SCP uh, annual safety equipment and procedures training they do to go through uh, a pilot incapacitation scenario. So when the line check captain uh, on our airline we used to have a special coded pa we'd make but uh, i don't know if they did the same but uh, the cabin crew would come into the flight deck knowing that there was an incapacitation they would know how to maneuver the seat so they would be intimately aware of where all the seat controls were they would recline the seat move the seat back and away from the controls so that if the pilot did go into any kind of a spasm they couldn't interfere with the controls they could start cpr with him in the seat with if it since it reclined uh, and if they needed to pull him out then uh, they would be able to do that they wouldn't fire the defib with him in his seat but certainly uh, once they got safely on the ground they could um, perhaps get him out of his seat and do it then. Certainly on this airplane, they needed to anyway, so the guy could continue to taxi in. I, I suspect there's not nearly as much room in the uh, cockpit of the Embraer 175 as there was in the Airbuses that you flew. But, um, no, you know, it's a good point knowing how to uh, maneuver the seats in such a way that... It would have been a very funny-shaped airplane if that happened. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you can think, think through different scenarios, too. If this had happened um, in a different phase of flight, what would they have done differently you know in terms of getting the captain out of the seat and being able to work on him while you know getting safely back to the ground not delaying so yeah in um the 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 crews both the flight deck and the cabin crew are trained in all these scenarios and so you sit down for days every year when you go through your recurrent training and discuss these scenarios and the company usually comes up with any bright ideas that it's developed, uh, you know, recently so that you're kept uh, up to date with all this. I'm impressed that uh, they were trained to know how to, you know, move the the cockpit seat aft and forward and the recline and all that kind of stuff. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I've been on the airplane <laughs> for two years. <laughs> well, yeah. They'd often come up in the cruise saying, oh, I've got SCP next week. Can I come play with your seat? Play with my what? Play with your seat. Oh, seat. What the? And so you'd be sitting there while they buzzed you around using the electric motors (laughs) and say, oh, and they knew how to lock the harness so that having got you into position, they'd put the shoulder straps over you and lock the harness so that uh, you couldn't fall out during the deceleration after landing, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, they very well trained our our cabin crew, and I'm sure the same applies to any airline. I don't. I'm not sure ours does that, but I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. You know, 
I've not what was what was the actual outcome of this? Oh, uh, yes, thank you, Liz. The uh, unfortunately, the final outcome of this, uh, they were not able to revive the uh, captain, and uh, he passed away. He was fifty-four mm. years old. Well, quite honestly, I got the kind of feeling that that was the situation from the tone of the yeah. guy on the radio, mm-hmm. the yeah, line check agree, captain. Yeah. He sounded He's like, like I don't know that there's going to be much to do. This right. seems yeah. pretty sudden and severe, and exactly another big consideration uh, yeah. for all of this. Yeah, he sure. knew yeah. something that, yeah, this is that's it. Yeah, mm-hmm. something out. something very bad just happened, and it will be a you no, know, yeah. Large now I've no doubt this, he he still tried as hard as he can could to get mm-hmm. medical assistance mm-hmm. to him as quickly as possible because you never know for sure. Yeah, and you don't but, you don't uh, not try. I mean, no. you never know for no. certain. You have to try. But this guy was probably pretty cold and blue by then. I mean, you think about even the amount of time it takes. So if it happened on takeoff, you know, we cut out you cut out all of that time in between those transmissions. We're still talking about several minutes of time to come back around, basically fly a pattern around, get resequenced in, get other traffic out of the way, priority landing. It doesn't happen immediately. Right. It's not like 30 seconds of time. It was probably... I don't know. What do you think? Seven or eight minutes? Six minutes? Uh, yeah, at least. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. a while. I mean, and that's yeah. a that is a long time. Where much you know, longer than that? I'd have thought. Just by the time un- they got it all it, sorted, perhaps. But even that amount of time, man. If you haven't been able to start, you know, early CPR, high quality CPR, it's there's, yeah. It, it, that, well, according to the text here, it's thirty-seven minutes. minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a long time when you need That's to do time. immediate CPR, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So I wonder if Maybe 37 minutes was the point, the time when they pushed back from the gate. Oh, and the time they actually oh, yeah. got back. Because <laughs> they taxied around O'Hare for yeah. 30 minutes before they took off and then seven minutes back. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, our our thoughts and prayers go out mm-hmm. to uh, uh, the deceased captain yeah, and very yeah, friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, Moving on, uh, this is uh, a concerning one. Um, Paddle your own canoe, Liz, mm, one I of did. Liz's favorite uh, yeah. news sources. Um, the Department of Homeland Security and the Transportation Security Administration has launched an urgent investigation after an, an unruly passenger on board a Frontier Airlines flight from Cincinnati to Tampa was able to smuggle two box cutters onto the plane. You'll remember that those box cutters were used in the 9-11 hijackings to incapacitate the air crews. Uh, the, the alleged perpetrator managed to evade X-ray screening checks at a TSA security checkpoint at Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport on Friday evening before boarding a Frontier Air Flight uh, 1761 to Tampa. During the flight, the man allegedly threatened to harm other passengers and flight attendants after he spotted one. Uh, after he was spotted with one box cutter, the threat was deemed so serious that the pilots made an emergency landing at Atlanta Hartsfield, where local law enforcement took the man into custody. After his arrest, the man was searched and a second box cutter was found in his possession. Um, box cutters and other Blades and knives have been prohibited in the airplane cabin since the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Uh, anyway, um, in a statement, a spokesperson for the TSA said that the Frontier Air flight diverted after a disturbance in the cabin involving a disruptive pa- passenger with a box cutter. The cockpit was secure. Passengers were deplaned in ATL. 
the FBI and Atlanta Police Department responded to the incident, took the suspect into custody, and the flight was canceled. Um, yeah, and they talk about finding the second uh, box cutter after they were doing um, a, uh, a thorough, um, what do you call it, search. Search. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, and then it goes on to talk about how... <laughs> There have been a um, lot of failures uh, detecting uh, weapons, knives, box cutters, and this and the sort um, at several airports around the country. And uh, the failure rate has been said to be as high as 95%. That was in 2015, wow. although it's not known whether recent improvements in screening technology have had a positive impact. On the failure rate. Yeah, it's, it's like an incredible number of... Although it's amazing to me that they are always very interested in my sports gels, like well, nutrition gels. That is the most dangerous thing you can possibly <laughs> right. take with I'm you. Like it's airplane. basically mushed up apples and thing. Like it's like applesauce. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Explosive applesauce yeah. though. So, I mean, who knows what the intent of this guy was? <sighs> I mean, you know, it sounds like... Fortunately, he didn't have much of a good plan in mind, but quite disturbing that, you know, nonetheless, he was able to get through security and then become disruptive. Maybe you know. he was just a, you know, like a frustrated drywall um, person. Installation but, tech. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he thought they, he was on IHAL yeah, boxes. Box flight. cutters. <laughs> Liz thinks that maybe he thought he was on one of IHAL boxes. Uh, ah, I'm just here to open the boxes to break. Down, I'm here to break down the boxes. Where are the boxes? <laughs> Somebody told me there'd be boxes recycling. for breaking down. No Sorry. wonder he was kind of unruly. You yeah. Know? It's like, this is not what I expected. It's all these people going to Tampa. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, here's another um, incident involving uh, the TSA. and <laughs> This one is, is more amusing to me for some reason yeah uh from uh, paddle your own canoe again uh we have uh this for some reason a passenger trying to fly to haiti from fort lauderdale hollywood international airport decided they, that they would one. attempt to conceal a handgun in the cavity of a raw baking chicken inside <laughs> their luggage thankfully security no, they never never be able to see that thing you can't see chicken. through a raw chicken on x-ray of course everybody knows that that's uh, common logic with exactly. how x-rays work look how much is sticking out at the uh, thankfully security screening officers from the transportation security administration they discovered the firearm which had been tightly wrapped in plastic and then placed inside the chicken um let's see firearms are not permitted to be carried in hand luggage and must be stowed and unloaded and locked inside a hard-sided container Passengers must declare the firearm to the airline, and for international flights, additional checks must be made with U.S. Customs and Border Protection. In this case, the uh, unnamed female passenger had quite clearly failed to adhere to any of these rules and was barred from Well, flying. I don't know. What's the difference between an American chicken and a hard-sided container? <laughs> Uh, oh really? Now you're 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 uh, criticizing <laughs> our culinary uh, dissing your poultry. I think he's criticizing uh -huh. our hard-sided containers. Oh okay. He's saying they're yeah. soft. Yeah. Like it could have been a rubber chicken, was uh, it? A rubber chicken? This appears to be an actual chicken. <laughs> now, it, unclear if it's still frozen or not. In a related, that could have gotten. In a related story, did you hear about the one at another airport? Uh, somebody was bringing a raw turkey, had a machine gun inside that darn thing. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of bigger bird. Yeah, bigger bird. 
I'm just it. kidding, of course. Um, let's see. Amazingly, the TSA... Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this. This is a serious incident, but the TSA took a lighthearted approach to dealing with the incident and some foul jokes on the agency's official Instagram page. F-O-W-L? Uh, yeah, F-O-W-L. Uh, the plot chickens as we barrel our way closer to Thanksgiving. For us, it's a time to be thankful that our officers are always working around the clock to keep you safe. Oh, gosh. Take, for instance, this hen you believe it find at a Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. We hate to break it to you here, but stuffing a firearm in your holiday bird for travel is just a waste of time. This idea wasn't even half-baked. It was raw, greasy, and obviously unsupervised. The only roast happening here is this poor packing choice. Feather, you like it or not, these are rules for traveling with guns. There are rules for traveling with guns and ammunition, so don't wing it. Roost over the proper packaging info through the link in our bio. Okay, yeah, it, it, it gets worse. Yeah, it goes worse. on, yeah. I hope boxes has a suggestion. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Maybe, I don't know. Cavity searches for everyone after these two items from I haul boxes. <laughs> Imagine putting a box or Bob. I feel like there's a there's a Wayne's World joke in there somewhere. <laughs> That's well, a for sure. A pretty impressive uh, statistic though. Last week, TSA revealed that its officers had detected more than 700 guns at Florida, Florida area airport security Florida. checkpoints since the start of this year alone. The vast majority were loaded and had a round chambered. Now, that's the, <laughs> that's the worst bit. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you're carrying a gun around, at least keep... Unloaded, yeah, nothing in the chamber. No, no, no. Don't have a round Come chambered. on, Florida man. Yeah. A woman. <laughs> Florida man. Yeah. yeah. But you know, sadly, it happens even at other than Florida airports oh, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's people here like their guns too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so far, I've I've made it unscathed. Nobody's nobody's shot me, and I have about a year Thank to go. Goodness. Fingers yes. crossed. You, th- you think they're gonna stop shooting you just because you retired? <laughs> oh well, in the airplane at least. Oh, yeah, fair They'll be shooting yeah. at me in my RV going down the road, probably. Yeah, that's right. Hi, trying to hijack you. Yeah. All right. Hmm. That's it, I guess, right, yeah, Liz, for it. our news today? Yeah, and getting to know us. All right, let's uh, I'm hit I'm going the... with the OG, seeing as Camacho and Rick aren't here. Okay, right here we go. Getting to know us, a segment of the show where we get to find out what's been happening with members of our crew since the last episode. And that's the uh, original getting to know us graphic there that Liz says put the other one up quickly oh there's the okay there's uh, the the (laughs) one okay (laughs) (laughs) oh we can tell which one Liz perverse yeah she's saying that because uh, Rick and uh, Nick uh, C weren't with us today she thought she'd go with the OG I see yeah all right Um, let's see uh, Steph, it's it's hmm, been a yes. little bit since uh, we've What's seen up, your beautiful face on our. Yeah, I don't program. remember when the last time I was here yeah. was, and I'm sorry about that. It's yeah. been um, life happens. Been, well, it's been quite busy at work. So we'll start with um, some good news that I was voted into partner position with my job. So wow, very exciting. Hey, good job. Yeah, well which unfortunately I think means now I actually have to work even more. So like, yeah, that's but good. it's it's a good thing. <laughs> can I, I mean, can I not be a partner now? Can I personally and professionally? It's 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 a big deal. So I'm, I'm you don't get more holidays. That. That's not fair. Well, just the more time I spend there, I get more time off. But that really has nothing to do with that partner 
track. So, but there's a lot of other perks that come with with that. So, um, no, it's very exciting. Um, and my apologies for having worked so much. This is, I think I've mentioned this before, as we get close to the holidays, usually from October on, especially in this country, the way our insurance system is set up, everyone realizes they've met their deductibles and they don't have to pay out of pocket for anything anymore, or at least not as much. So now is a good time to put to do everything that we've been putting off for the past 10 months or so. And by the way, we need it done now before December 31st. And we have all of these very unrealistic expectations for timelines of how that might happen. So um, we do our best to accommodate, but this is my PSA for those of you living in the United States, please don't wait until no October, November, December to do your elective things. It will be very difficult for us to accommodate you, um, but we try because so, we do want you to feel better, especially for the holidays. Um, did some flying last weekend, um, really nice weather last weekend. It was not super busy because um, I guess just with the holidays coming up and it was, it was pretty chilly, um, probably high in the, fifties, uh, so around like 10 to 12 Celsius, but quite chilly in the morning, you know, um, closer to freezing and definitely cold at altitude. Um, yeah. Uh, so of course I managed to sneak in a jump for myself as well. And it was, it was chilly. It wasn't terrible though. Um, but, um, Nice to do a little bit of flying and get back into that. I hadn't flown in, I don't even know, probably close to four weeks just because um, trading off with other pilots on weekends and then some bad weather weekends and other things. So it was nice to get back up in the air and, and do a little bit of that. And then um, not flying today or yesterday, obviously, Thanksgiving and uh, going to visit with friends tomorrow which we normally do for thanksgiving out in tennessee so oh yeah and the uh, and the ghost pepper or whatever yeah. it is that, these uh, are the friends that we've done the uh one chip challenge with dogs. previously um apparently they were for sale at a gas station a local convenience store nearby just recently and i um a friend sent me a picture of those i was like which gas stations and i need to go buy some of those um but i never found out um anyway it'll be i don't think we're going to do any one chip challenges this time around maybe Maybe stand by. Um, so not flying this weekend. Um, today is rainy. Sunday is rainy. So I don't think I'll get a chance to do much outdoor stuff uh, this weekend. But that's okay. I've got a lot of indoor chores to attend to, which is my intention for today and Sunday when I return home. I was really planning to get a whole lot of things done, but I'm a little concerned I'm going to be a little bit slower at completing tasks. Because I... Why? I uh, went ice skating on Wednesday night with a friend and I'm actually a decent ice skater. Um, we were out for quite a long time and I was actually working on trying to improve um, my quick stops, hockey stops. Um, because they, you never know when you can use that. Well, it's pretty useful, especially when you're out on the this ice rink public area. Lots of people from the South who did not grow up on ice skates and can be a little out of control at times. Um, and they were going pretty well until I decided to do one away from the um, relative safe, safety of close to a one of the walls where I was practicing them. And I didn't really execute very well. And I kind of just fell over immediately onto my side, but landed right on my wrist. Um, not great. So actually Ouch. the swelling, I've been working on it this morning. I've been sitting here with an ice pack. You can tell it's on the, uh, it's this, yeah. this mm -hmm. one. It's 
the swelling's come down quite a bit this morning. Um, still kind of bruised oh, here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> um, it's moving a little bit better now. I've been, I've been working on it. Um, and I did go and get checked out yesterday. I was not going to. I thought about just waiting until Monday to see if it was still bothering me. But there's certain bones in the wrist that you really do want to know about and make sure that they're not broken because some of them tend not to heal appropriately if they're not addressed uh, What are the names of those bones? Uh, well, the one that I was most worried about was the scaphoid here oh, in this area. You, I can't turn my ears You actually right can remember, remember them all. Oh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. that was what I'm most worried about. And it was pretty Yeah, that fell a bit there. flat, didn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, um, but yeah, so I went and got checked out, got some x-rays yesterday morning. Apparently, 8 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day is a good time to go to your standalone ER facility down the street because nobody was there. Um, I said, Hey, I hope I'm your like simplest patient all day long. I just want some x-rays. Like, just tell me if it's broken or not. And you don't even have to do anything about it. If it is, I'm going to call someone like tomorrow or the next day about it. Just need to know. Um, and good news, nothing broken, just very bruised, swollen, sprained. Um, it is, it genuinely is starting to feel quite a bit better just in the past, like two hours sitting here. So it's good. As the swelling comes down, it's getting a lot better. Excellent. Yeah. So I, I, my question is, by throwing yourself uh, down onto the ice, did you stop quicker than you would have done if you'd stayed on your I stopped very abruptly. It was quite abrupt. And the ice is <laughs> so a lot harder a than I remember when I was much younger. Stopping. Yeah, I, you know, it may not be the safest way to do it, but um, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to keep working on, on those hockey steps, though. I'm not deterred. I did buy myself some wrist guards and some knee pads and like, uh, a padding thing for your, like your hip and your tailbone too, because that ice is unforgiving. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> hard stuff. It's it's a lot harder Cold than I remember too. it being when I was like and slippery, you know, ten. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. anyway, it gets harder as you get older. Yeah, mm, that's exactly. what she said. Mm. Does it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that's that's been my uh last couple of weeks lots of work some mm. flying and and minor injuries so well congratulations and again a huge uh, promotion becoming a, a partner that's, yeah thank that's you great that's great yeah all right and we hope that your wrist heals quickly yeah it'll be as fine. neil says physician heal, heal thyself yes yeah. <laughs> working on it working yeah. on it actually i've been when one of you guys starts talking, I'm going to put my ice pack back in the freezer because it's no longer, it's no longer okay, cold. Okay, Nick, start yeah. talking. Just cold water. Okay, Nick, Captain Nick, what have you been up to, sir? I know you've been busy. Uh, yeah, I have, actually. Uh, I've had a lot on this uh, week. Um, first thing really was me uh, giving a lecture to the Royal Aeronautical Society at uh, Brooklyn's Museum, which is a fantastic aviation and motoring museum the the place has got a fantastic history brooklyn's used to have uh, a banked racetrack around it they still got part of it um on view so you can actually go and look at they've got some amazing air, airplanes uh ptuk had their i think 400th show mm -hmm. uh, at brooklyn's and it really was Brilliant. But um, I was invited by uh, Paul Sternberg, and he's the gentleman on the right-hand side of that picture. Um, and with him uh, is another chap from the committee. He used to work for Virgin, actually, uh, Paul Robinson, uh, engineering side. He looks after 
um, the VC10 they've uh, got there, and uh, also met um, John Dunn, the chairman, who uh, sort of wrapped up the evening. But it was very pleasant. You uh, kind of have a nice sit-down meal uh, and uh, some wine and beer, and uh, then uh, while everyone's feeling very mellow, I stood up and uh, gave uh, a lecture. Uh, so that that was extremely nice, and uh, off the back of that, I've already had a couple of people uh, asking if they can have that lecture at their organisations. So I might be going to the Hawker Association um, before long, and I've got another RAES uh, talk over at the Isle of Wight uh, next year. So it's all uh, it's all carrying on, which is very nice. But lovely to meet those gents. The museum is fantastic. Of course, the um, Royal Aeronautical Society, this is just one branch. So if you happen to live in the uh, Brooklands area and you're interested, then uh, there you just have to go online and look for the Royal Aeronautical Society and then find the Brooklands branch and you'll get all the details uh, to join and become a member and help support. And then they, they've got all sorts of fascinating people who come along regularly and talk as well as um, if, if they're like any other branch I've been to, they organise visits to interesting places, uh, all, you know, everything you'd want if you were aviation-minded. So that was fun. Uh, and then I got a lovely visit from uh, the, uh, the most amazing Sam. And uh, I think the best thing, Sam Dawson, I think the best thing is to play the audio, and I'll just pick up on that um, uh, at the end. All right, here we go. Thanks. Hi, Jeff. Uh, it's Captain Nick. I'm here in uh, the lovely Hawkley Inn, what a pretty traditional um, British pub, English pub, really, that we got driving up a tortuous single-track road, which you're very familiar with. And I'm, I'm here with Sam, who has just flown in from uh, Newark, if I'm not mistaken, and landed uh, only a short while ago. He's grabbed a, an hour or two of sleep, and now he's come down for a little meet-up. We're going to uh, take him back to our place, and uh, he's going to enjoy, hopefully, the delights of steak and kidney um, casserole uh, with uh, some dumplings. So I'm going to introduce you to Sam, and he's going to tell you his life story. Sam, lovely to see you. Thank you. Great to be on the show, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is. I hope it is. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, let's see. I grew up on Long Island in New York. And then uh, that's where I got my love of aviation. I was watching planes come in and out of LaGuardia Airport flying overhead. And there's a seaplane base there as well. Watching the seaplanes take off and land. That's what I always wanted to do. Uh, I had a godfather who was a pilot in the Dutch Air Force as well, so I got to listen to his stories from World War II, uh, stories about a great uncle who flew in World War I and World War II. And so after university, I went to the Army as a helicopter pilot, started out flying the small TH-55. It's a two-seater trainer helicopter, moved on to the UH-1, eventually the UH-60, uh, flew that for some time, was an instructor in it as well. After doing an instructor pilot tour, I went to the special operations side of flying the one, uh, in the 160th. And then I decided that I really had reached my level of competence and wanted to go on and be an airline pilot. Uh, my wife supported me in that, so that's what I went off and did. Uh, I only had helicopter time, however, so I had to fly airplanes. So I did some flight instructing. 
hauled checks around. That was something we did in the United States before electronic checks. You'd have to haul the canceled checks around the country, and I did that to build up my fixed wing time. Then flew for a regional, flew the mighty ATR 42 and set, uh, correction, just a 72. <laughs> uh, lovely turboprop. It's a great aircraft. Moved on to the CRJ, uh, the 200, 700, 900 series. Uh, then, of course, 2001 hit. Uh, A65 rule in the United States, the 2008 recession. Uh, so I kind of bounced around flying different jobs, went back to a regional. Uh, then was uh, lucky enough to get hired by a private company uh, called Coletta. Uh, matter of fact, I think it's uh, Rick, Miami Rick, yeah. one of his competitors. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, and I was lucky enough to fly the 747 for a while. Oh, excellent. You must have enjoyed that. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, uh, flying all over the world. I've never met someone who's actually flown the aircraft who doesn't like it. No, it, it was the easiest airplane ever to land. You really had to almost try to have a bad landing <laughs> in it. You know, 16 trailing length, huge landing gear down there. Uh, it was a, a joy to fly. Uh, so I did that for a little while and then got hired by United Airlines, which... Uh, was better for the family life, a little more time off. The the international cargo flying, that was 16-day trips, going around the world sometimes twice in two weeks. Wow, that's uh, that's heavy drama. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really tough flying. Yeah. But it was enjoyable. You'd wake up in the morning, look at your company phone, and you say, where is that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> where is Djibouti, Africa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good question. Yeah, that, that kind of fly. Yeah. So it was very, that part was very enjoyable. Uh, overnights in Hong Kong, Istanbul, places like that. So that part was beautiful. So Then I went to United, flew the 737, and I'm now on the 757, the 767. So it was short capsule. That was my life as a helicopter, uh, as a, a pilot. And I did finish up flying in the reserves uh, in the United oh, States. Uh, I was able to fly with the UH-60 unit and did a tour deployed as well with them. Where to? Uh, uh, Kuwait with flying uh, around Kuwait and Iraq. We did southern oh, wow. Iraq uh, from Basra, where the Brits were, all mm -hmm. the way up to Babylon. And that was a great memory. Uh, I actually got to land several times in Babylon and walked amongst the ruins of Babylon. Wow. Which not many people can say they've walked around the ruins of Babylon. So that was a lot of, that was one of the memorable parts of that. It uh, seems that whenever you're uh, on a trip, you don't sit in your hotel and and watch the telly. You're, no, you're out doing things. What no. are the what are the some of the things you've enjoyed around the world? I, I, I love hiking. Uh, I've hiked up Victoria Peak. In, oh, in, Hong in Hong Kong, yeah, uh, Dragon's Back in Hong Kong. That's that's a hot and yes. difficult so I, journey I, at yes. times. <laughs> um, another time, I took a ferry out to the Princess Islands in uh, Turkey, and that time I actually rented a bike and rode up to the top of a mountain there. Not a mountain, a hill, large hill, mountain there, and they have a monastery at the top and had a beer overlooking the oh, wow. the harbor of Istanbul, which was beautiful. Um, Man, so many, that's, and that's what I love to do. When I get to overnights, I've got these pants and my shoes, and I'll just try and go hiking and try and fit in as best I can. I remember one story, I finished hiking in Hong Kong, coming back from Victoria Peak, and I had on actually jeans, black uh, jeans and a black T-shirt. Oh, wow. You must be melting. Well, I was trying to kind of blend in so I didn't look too much like an American, 
And I looked around the train, and I realized everybody was dressed like me, and I was a trendsetter. <laughs> and then the doors opened to the train, and I saw the riot police, and I realized I had somehow got mixed up in one of the riots. Now, the protest, it was a protest. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> and I guess the police kind of noticed my look of alarm that I realized I was in the wrong place, and they kind of waved me over and kind of pointed me where to go and get out of the way. <laughs> so I went scurrying off, because the last thing I needed was my company to get a call that I was arrested at a protest and thrown in jail somewhere. So, But, yeah, it, it, that, that's one of the things I've really loved, is just going all over the world and seeing these things and hiking around and having a beer and a pub in the English countryside. Absolutely. Yeah, well, of course, I love it all the time. I don't get to do so much of the round-the-world bit. But your little story about the, the police there reminded me of being in Hong Kong, and I wanted to get some pictures of uh, the aircraft going over the checkerboard yes. into Kai Tak. So I found a tall building uh, in the middle of that final turn and uh, I saw a fire escape so I clambered up this fire escape and got onto the roof of this building and I'm there with my big long lens <laughs> and uh, I'm taking pictures of the aircraft and then I sort of, had, it was a quiet patch so I'm looking around and I suddenly realised that I climbed on the roof of a, probably a Catholic girls school <laughs> And there I was sitting on the roof with this great big long lens thinking someone's going to arrest me. And I was due to fly home at like five o'clock that afternoon. And I was going, oh, no, I'm gonna, this is going to be impossible. But uh, luckily I managed to get down and no one saw me. I, I never had the pleasure of doing that approach in there. They, they had already changed uh, over to the, the newer what airport. A shame. Yeah, so yeah, I did Mind not you, the, the new airport has its... Um, difficulties, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, I know we have to be very careful about the departures because of the noise abatement. Yeah. Um, much more strict than even London. Uh, and if we violated that, we probably, as we landed, we would get a text message to call the company that they wanted to <laughs> have a little chat with us about the fine they were about to get. So. Well, I remember getting a, a fax from the emperor. Well, supposedly it was... Um, from a department of the Emperor of Japan asking me why I didn't put my gear down at 14 oh, yes. miles on the approach. <laughs> approach to, yes. <laughs> to, I remember saying to my FO who was flying the approach, are we going to put the gear down? Uh, hello? And he was, he was busy and, and I'm going, I don't really want to do it for him, but we must have got it down at 12 miles and they knew. I yes. don't know how they knew, but they did know. I forgot about that approach, yes. <laughs> it was something like right as you cross the coastline. Yeah, I think it's because uh, in the past, putting the gear down has shaken ice off an airplane that had crashed yes. through someone's house. So now they wanted you to put the gear down over the ocean so in yes. case it happened again. Yeah, I remember that. Hey, look, we're going to have great fun chatting, but uh, I won't bore Jeff and the audience <laughs> uh, with our <laughs> reminiscences for any longer. Lovely to meet you. Yes. Thank you very much indeed for making uh, the trip uh, out to see me in the countryside. And I, I wish you all well for your flight home tomorrow. Thank you very much. Okay, thank Jeff, thanks. Back to you in the studio. Well, thank you, Nicholas. Let's see, I guess we go back to, there we go. Um, this view how about um yeah wow that was uh, now uh, sadly it looks like uh sam uh took off with your lovely wife um it, <laughs> yes well I'd, and uh, your car uh, and your car and my yeah. car <laughs> yeah. lovely car well uh, it's all right i got the car back so everything's oh. fine <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> Shh. 
She's all right, she, she doesn't listen to this. Yeah. In fact, um, Sam swapped uh, her for this nice uh, oh. little... Uh, little uh, Who's the winner? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Shot glass. For having a shot glass, yeah. And uh, my lovely wife has got an ornament for the tree. Uh, and for those of you who know West Point, that is uh, Washington Hall. Um, oh. So there you go. Uh, that was very nice. Um, anyway... I'd, I'd delight to uh, meet Sam. We could have, in fact, we did. We chatted for hours. Uh, I'm very glad I didn't record anymore because <laughs> it was quite long enough, but it was great. He was so easy to chat to, and we had some uh, great uh, mutual experiences that uh, uh, we could talk about. So that was fun. Nice. And uh, then um, finally, I was back to St. Benedict's School. Now, one of our great listeners, uh, Rob Simmons, is the uh, headmaster of the junior. Uh, they, <laughs> don't they? they love Captain <laughs> Jeff. Oh, but you know what? Yeah. See, they and, mm-hmm. and they, they love the airline mm-hmm. pilot guy show. Yes, I when I was uh, I was in uniform last time I was there, so I must have been still working. So it's been a few years since I was there. But uh, Rob is a, a an avid listener of the show. Um, thanks very much, Deepa, for uh, Thank inviting you, me again, uh, Rob. And uh, I was uh, I gave them a talk about um, uh, flying an aircraft uh, from New York to London. With all their sort of information and fun bits, and they, they, there was one particular lad who knew everything there <laughs> was to know about flying an airliner. So I was very impressed. That was uh, wow. great fun. So. I told you he was planted there by Miami Rick. <laughs> <laughs> <It> was, <Yeah. laughs> well, he certainly could have uh, rivaled Miami Rick for his technical knowledge. I was Look very out, impressed. Yeah. So thanks very much indeed for having me across there, St. Benedict's. Uh, and that's really been a very busy week for me, but I've had a thoroughly good time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Excellent. Over to you, Jeff. All right. Uh, my turn now. Um, yes. So mm-hmm. I flew a trip um, earlier this week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday trip, I believe. Yeah, I got yeah, home yeah, uh, the yeah. day before Thanksgiving. And uh, while I was in Little Rock, I managed to meet up with a couple of listeners and uh, made a recording. So here we go. So I'm here in uh, Little Rock on, on a layover and uh, decided to walk into this really nice restaurant. And wow, I ran into some people that have sent... No, actually, we planned on doing this. Uh, um, anyway, we're at this beautiful restaurant and Keith and Devin and their son Liam are here and Tim Q or Tim Qualls is uh, also joining us, and my first officer, John Wright, uh, a, a descendant of the uh, Wright brothers. Um, yeah, what, what do you call them? Uh, gram- grandpas? Uh, something like that. Yeah, Grandpa. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we're, <laughs> we're sitting at this uh, round table in a, uh, a wonderful restaurant. We have finished our just very, very tasty dinner. And thank you, Keith, for uh, treating us all to a, just an amazing dinner. Anyway, so I thought we'd do a quick recording just to kind of um, spread the love in the APG community and and uh, kind of encourage you to do the same kind of thing. If you see I'm going to be somewhere on a layover and uh, you want to organize some kind of a, either an, an intimate dinner at a fancy restaurant or even like get a whole bunch of people together wherever you happen to be, that's that's awesome. And you don't even have to have one of us 
crew members there, you know. But it's always fun for me to uh, be able to engage with uh, our, our listeners like this. Anyway, so enough of me. You hear me talking all the time. So we're going to start with Keith. Um, here you go, sir. Just tell the uh, audience. Uh, well, they already kind of know you because you sent in your feedback before. But just tell us a little bit about yourself and all this. Yeah. Awesome, uh, Captain Jeff. Uh, this has been great. Uh, thank you for, um, you know, uh, you know, just you know, been been listening to the show for, gosh, almost two years now, and and um, and so just was excited to kind of see, you know, you're you're going to be in town, and we, you know, emailed and connected with Tim too, and and so uh, it's great to put a face to the name or a face to the caricature, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, um, you know, yeah, I've sent in some good feedback, um, you know, over the last uh, year and a half. You know, I got my sport pilot license. We've talked about that. Um, and, uh, you know, so I've just really enjoyed, you know, in my 40s getting my, you know, getting my pilot's license. I've had this conversation with uh, actually a number of people lately that I've talked to, a couple of my, a number of my customers about, you know, oh man, I've always loved aviation or blah, blah. And, you know, I'm 42 and I got my license, you know, not even a year ago. Like it's never too late. And, um, and so, you know, that's something that I would encourage people to, you know, so many of your listeners, I think are pilots, but probably the majority aren't. And, um, but just have a love and passion for aviation. And that's something that as I was, um, learning about, as I was, you know, last couple of years getting, really to realize like how much that that this is something I really wanted to do and looking for information online you know I think that um you guys are very just inspiring so it's just been uh, it's been wonderful so anyways just super glad that you guys had a chance to to come into town and and uh meet meet John and and uh and then I've gotten Tim and I have gotten to know each other for for over the time so uh, just thank you so much yeah absolutely yeah hey I'm gonna give this to Tim uh, well, again, I don't have a whole lot to say, but I, but you know, we're, we're uh, Thursday well, the, when we're recording it coming up Thursday is Thanksgiving, and I've been thinking about you know, and we were talking about it earlier today. One of the things that I'm so thankful about is the community that you've created, and you know, and that's that, that's a lot to to your credit, uh, and to everybody else that works on the podcast now too. But 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 now just being a listener to the podcast, I'm not a pilot. Uh, maybe someday I'll be able to get my sport pilot at least, but. To still feel like I'm a part of the community, regardless of whether I can actually fly, whether I'm asking questions that probably every pilot would know the answer to, but I don't, and still be be treated almost as an equal. Well, actually, not almost, be treated as an equal. To me, that's just amazing, and uh, to have the chance to meet John now. You know, I mean, I've had a chance to meet. I guess I met uh, you and Captain Nick and Doctor Steph and Captain Dana, and uh, these are people I would have never met had it not been for your podcast. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just want to take the time to say that I'm thankful for what you've done here. So I just met Captain Jeff uh, a couple of days ago, but in the last few days, it's it's been uh, a great pre- pleasure getting to know know him as a person and flying with him. Uh, in addition to learning about his podcast and meeting some of his fellow uh, followers and getting to interact with them and uh, get to talk about aviation and other things about life. Uh, so I'm now a new follower of the podcast and look forward to many more years of listening in. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to offer my apologies for, for that. Anyway, no, John's great. Uh, we just met uh, on this trip, and uh, he's a super pilot and uh, even better person. So 
Nice to meet you, John. And would you like to say something, Devin? Uh, no? Okay. Liam? Liam? No? Okay. All right. Your chance for fame. There are like at least a dozen or two people actually listen to the show. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, and th- thank you so much, both of you, Keith and Tim, especially, you know, expressing what you just expressed because, uh, as you said, most, most of the community is not, I've never done a demographic survey, but I sense that most of our community are not pilots or even maybe even connected in any direct way to aviation, but they just have a love and passion for it. And uh, I think that's one of the special things about our show. And we try to just make the, I mean, I've learned so much from doing the show from people like you and Keith and everybody else. And it just, it really, uh, it really enhances my life and uh, makes it full. So thank you for being all of you out there listening. Thank you. We love you. All right. Back to you all in the studio. Thank you, Jeff. Um, yeah, as I said, it was a, a wonderful dinner and, uh, had great conversations and, um, Tim Q, Tim calls there did a, uh, he, he is a magician and he did a couple of magic tricks, uh, with, uh, Keith's oh, brilliant. son, uh, Liam, he had these rubber bands and he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff with the rubber band, rubber bands. So, uh, did he make your wallet nice. disappear? Uh, no, he, uh, we all made Keith's <laughs> wallet, uh, disappear because he had to pay for this very <laughs> expensive dinner. Uh, oh, dear. but, uh, yeah. Um, so that was so much fun and, uh, uh, look forward to doing more of these kind of, uh, meetups in the future. And as I mentioned in the audio, uh, you know, you can, you can do a meetup, an APG meetup like our Northern California APGers, uh, have done without any of the actual APG crew with you. So, uh, please, uh, please do that. And if you do make sure you take some pictures and make a recording and send it to us. Cause we love to see that happen all around the world. And yesterday you sang and then you, let's see. Oh yeah. Liz is saying, okay. Um, continue on with what you have been doing yesterday. I, uh, sang at the, uh, Thanksgiving mass, uh, Thursday morning. And then I got to spend Thanksgiving with family. Well, Sort of. Um, I, I feel like uh, Brent and his family are part of my family now. And uh, he invited me up to uh, Cartersville uh, in his really beautiful home. And uh, got I've already met his wife, Judy, uh, but I got to meet Abby, uh, his youngest daughter. And I got to meet his mother as well. She drove in from Memphis. And so we had a just a wonderful, um, lots nice. and lots of great food, turkey, ham, and all kinds of casseroles and everything else. And I just stuffed myself and it was, it was awesome. Great time, uh, spending time with, uh, Brent and getting to know some of the other people in his family. So thank you, Brent, if you're listening and all of you, uh, in the Heron family. And that was it. Yeah. So now let's do the cover art from the last show. So Liz, if you'll yeah. Pop it's that coming. up. It's coming. Okay. There we go. There we are. Okay. All right. Look at that. That is our cover art for episode 545, Acme Ejection Systems. And uh, Nick, of course, you know, played off on uh, some kind of wacky uh, ejection systems involved in the Roadrunner cartoon. And, of course, the company that um, 
manufacturers all these wonderful devices that always work perfectly for Roadrunner, uh, not Wiley e. Coyote, um, is Acme. So uh, tell us about this, Rick or Nick. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think you are. the idea came uh, from our discussion of uh, the um, Cirrus Cap system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. So anyway, uh, I. The show title was Acme Ejection System, and the only one I could think of was Roadrunner. So we got a Roadrunner wrapped around a rocket, uh, if you don't mind my alliteration. Uh, And as, uh, oh, actually, uh, the coyote is wrapped around the rocket. The Roadrunner's just gone by and fired the ejection system. So, of course, we see our wonderful Wiley uh, being sprung off his rocket by a catapult with uh, a, a classic acme um, um oh what's that damn thing called tied to his leg an anvil an uh, anvil yeah yes there you go uh and he ends up with his head through a rock so that's fair <laughs> enough and i i just thought that last one i found which this is the last straw acme was <laughs> perfect and was that, was that the way like, it was already? Did you uh, modify that, or is that what? No, it, no, that's, <laughs> I found, that's how it was. That was perfect. Uh, uh, it's very reminiscent of Dr. Steph, if you don't mind me saying. Of uh, what? What? <laughs> I, was, I stepped away for a moment. Oh, the, the bandage on the injury. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Wally Coyote right, and I, I have I'm a gonna, few things in common. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to mute myself because uh, the lady wife's arrived and the dogs are going to bark. Yeah. That's fine. See you later. Uh, okay. Uh, I was just going to mention, uh, give you kudos on the uh, nice penetration event uh, in the uh, in the lower middle portion. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, that was another comment. <laughs> yeah, <that's> excellent. <laughs> we always enjoy those here on the show. All right. Well, thank you uh, for um, doing that wonderful art, Captain Nick. And uh, he's going to try to take care of the dogs while uh, Jilly comes to the door and... Uh, now, while he's doing that, we're going to cover the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Liz. Uh, We are singing a duet. Um, Coffee Fund, that's your way to support the show financially, if you have the resources to do so. And a couple of different ways you can do it. Uh, One is the OG, the original Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last episode, I mentioned it in our last show, uh, I just didn't have time to um, acknowledge it. Uh, we had a very generous uh, contribution from Raghunath Apudurai. Apudurai. I don't know. That's a tough one for me to pronounce. But thank you very much, uh, Raghunath, for your very generous contribution to the Coffee Fund Classic method. And the other way to support the show is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And uh, since the last episode, no new patrons, but we had a bunch before that. So that's great. And uh, so if you want to support our show financially, please head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee and find out all about how you can, you can join, you can join the coffee fund. Contrary. You'll be glad you did. 
And we will too. Yeah, the turkey. The turkey got me. Gobble, gobble, gobble. That's what she said. Okay, I need to step away for a couple minutes. I do too, Liz. Uh, Liz needs to step away for uh, a few minutes, and I need to uh, take a physiological break. So... Cool. So Nick's going to sing more songs. Nick is going to sing some more songs. I know. I'm oh, going to cycle my careful. camera because it's flashing. I'm, a, I'm yeah, trying to get rid of the flashing. All right. And uh, yeah, here, let me go get my overcoat and I'll do some flashing as well. No, I better not do that. Um, it'll take more than an explicit tag to uh, make it through that. <laughs> Captain, incoming message. All right, we have our feedback segment now, and we're going to kick it off with some audio feedback from our friend, J.J. Pittsburgh. Greetings, APG crew. It's J.J. Pittsburgh here. I was listening to a recent episode, and Captain Jeff was talking about um, a signed book by a friend of his dad's that wrote an aviation book, and it got my wheels turning And I have a question for the crew. What is your most prized aviation-related possession? Um, It could be a uniform. It could be a book. You know, anything like that that may be um, near and dear to your heart. Or something you just like to brag about to friends. Like, hey, I have this piece of uh, aviation artifact from this thing. Whatever it may be. Um, Anyway... That was on my mind. I'm uh, taking it a little bit easy today. I've been doing a heck of a lot of Uber driving, amping up some of my music stuff, um, starting to get back into the groove, and uh, going to be working with my buddy Doug to write some songs soon. So um, hopefully I'll be able to share some of that soon. But anyway... I am going to let you go, and I look forward to hearing your answers. Peace and love, peace and love. Peace and love. JJ. So he, oh my, that's kind of embarrassing, Nick. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. That's oh. Still embarrassing. Got, and got, we can't hear muted. what you're saying. You muted. <laughs> Thankfully, we can't hear what he's saying. Thankfully. My, my wife has just come back from Ikea. Oh, uh, what is that? Describe what a, it is. A oh, it's a gnome. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know. Gonk or a gnome. Anyway, Christmas is coming to the Anderson uh, house. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that that I was I can see why she bought that for its Not a personal resemblance. No. I mean, <laughs> it was a coverage device. No. <laughs> now your oh, most my. valued aviation possession. Value. Oh, thank you. Liz is trying to get us on track again. Oh, so what first is of all, your... I, wanted to, I wanted to say before oh. we go into that, um, that he, I don't think he intentionally did a few plays on words there. He started off by saying that got the wheels turning and I'm thinking, yeah, I can hear them in the background. <laughs> yes. The wheels are actually turning. They were actually turning. And then uh, the, the, he talked about getting back into the, um, 
amping up his uh, music related mm-hmm, singing mm-hmm. Uh, kind of stuff and then getting into the groove. And I'm thinking, I don't really think that he intended to make all those but puns. But well done anyway. But well done anyway, JJ. Very punny. Yes, yes, he's a very punny person. Okay, so uh, I've already gone, my, you know, have, have mine, the uh, the book uh, signed by uh, Scott Crossfield, the X-15 uh, test pilot. So, ha, 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 you guys, now, you go. It's a, it's a great question. I actually really like this because, you know, um, curious to know what Nick's most prized position is because I feel like he's probably got some gems. Um, I was thinking about it, though, and, and nothing immediately came to mind. Um, I'd have to go track it down out of storage. Well, storage being a closet in the guest bedroom that's a little overrun with some other things at the moment. Um, but I have a, a vintage like precursor to an E6B calculate flight calculator that was given to me by a friend of my dad's who flew for um gosh a whole bunch of different uh places throughout the years and ended his career with um continental and then united um a number uh, of years a back. slide rule it is not a slide rule okay. or an abacus <laughs> I'll, I'll have an to abacus. um <laughs> <laughs> um and i'm not even sure what they i think he told me what the name of it was at one point but there's no card on it that says what it actually is called i'd have to look it up again or maybe one of you guys could tell me if i could um procure it i know where it is i just have, would have to move a whole bunch of things around to um get it out of that closet at the moment so i won't do that um if I was actually prepared for the show, I would have done that in advance, but I'm not. Um, so that's kind of just an interesting thing. But very honestly, like as I look around my office here, I've got some bookshelves and other things. Um, and I've kind of accumulated just a lot of little things, especially from doing this show with you guys over the years and from listeners and other folks. And, um, you know, not any uh, not any one giant thing in particular, but I've got, you know, some various pens from different um, companies and I've got some trinkets and I've got some, um, you know, name tags from shows we've attended. I mean, just all of that stuff is, is really cool and that's a lot of good memories and I keep all of those things and remember you all. So um, those are those are my most prized possessions, I think, aviation possessions. My, my most prized possessions in aviation are my co-hosts. Of course, they're not really possessions, though. So don't don't yeah, take you that can't. the wrong way. <laughs> uh, East Lake. Yeah. You can have me when I'm dead, mate. <laughs> mm, thanks. No. And then I have some trinkety things that are. <laughs> this has no sentimental value at all, but I just think it's fun. It's oh, neat! Yeah, yeah, cool. that's cool. Yeah. Nice. Okay, right. Nick. Very good. Yeah. Nick, you must have a, a huge a trove. Tron. Well, I I was trove, I was yeah. thinking about this, and uh, I must admit, I've got the old man's hat from his last. Oh. A company he flew mm-hmm. for when he was flying 707s and 747s. That's pretty neat. I, I've got a, a string of Aiden Cannon shells uh, from the Hawker Hunter, um, which are 20-millimeter cannon shells. And the the ball rounds, the bullet part of that, uh, Jilly picked up from the range at Pembury, where we as students used to go and practice firing the gun. Well, when they went through the target, uh, they then embed in a sand bank behind, and uh, they were in pretty good shape. So she picked up some uh, of the lead rounds, and um, then I, I got hold of some of the brass cartridges that were expended and put them all back together with links. So that's kind of neat, but I think my favourite 
is this. Ooh, what's that? So you might be wondering mm -hmm. what that is. Looks like an instrument if, of some sort. Like yeah, if I navigation. turn it around, yeah. you'll uh -huh. get a better uh, idea. Wow. So there, that's the attitude indicator of an F4 Phantom. Yes. So cool. that, that was the instrument, of course, you spend most of your time looking at when you're actually doing instrument flying because your scan radiates out from that. And it was an amazingly intricate instrument. So not only did it measure your attitude and have flight directors. Uh, it also spanned because it was a compass as well as an attitude. Yeah, I, and I always there. found that remarkable. Uh, and it had the instrument landing system tied into it so that uh, it could feed from that. But uh, more remarkably, that came from the Phantom that shot down the Jaguar in uh, Germany. So I've told that story. It's yeah. part of a plain tale. Uh, and that aircraft ended up as a gate guard at a remote Scottish um, base called RAF Stornoway, and uh, that was where it came from. So this long story as to how I got hold of it. <laughs> yeah. You stole but, it. But uh, anyway, that's, that's, that's what Lee said about that, the better, I think. <laughs> uh, uh, understand. Okay. That's that's my, uh, probably my most prized possession. Well, you know what, Nick, you reminded me of something that I completely forgot about. Forgotten about. You talked about your father's hat, mm. and or your old man's hat. Well, I have an old man's hat in my oh, possession. Yeah? Oh, ah, you do. That. I know oh. who that is. <laughs> I think he just left it because he didn't want it anymore. <laughs> He left that in my trunk. Uh, I was actually thinking about that when Nick mentioned it. I was like, yeah. I, I think I know what me? happened to I that. Left, uh -huh, I, I, uh -huh. I, I, well, I, I know where that is. I know. <laughs> so this is uh, the uh, an American Airlines captain's hat, and it belongs to the good-looking Captain Jeff, the ah. said, Colonel Jeff. Uh, we, um, <laughs> I was in um, uh, Tiga Cay. Mm. Um, uh, for, uh, or well, we, Kakalaki. Steph and I went to, the Charlotte International Airport for Colonel Jeff's last two flights at American mm -hmm. Airlines. Oh, brilliant! And uh, we were, and I got to ride the jump seat. And uh, Steph was in the back, uh, in the well, not in the back, well, in the front, the front of the back. Front of the back, yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty close place. to the front, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then we had the a back. great celebration <laughs> after that over at uh, Steph's place uh, on the lake, and uh, he took all his uniform stuff off and we said you know you need to do that inside not outside here <laughs> uh, fortunately it was dark out i think it was dark point, yeah. so it was, it was okay yeah he also it, um yeah. he was like i don't want this anymore and he left his uh seven three uh quick reference uh handbook just oh, on yeah? my kitchen table so i still have that too just in case you need to just in case to. i ever need to refer to that when i'm on a seven three well yeah, it could know. be useful could be so colonel jeff yes i still have your hat in my possession and it's in great Excellent. condition yeah I've, I've always been okay. tempted to like yeah, wear, wear this yeah. uh when i go to work and see if anybody notices wait a minute <laughs> i think they would <laughs> notice a great yeah. idea it's a different it's a different color scheme entirely <laughs> i know but it'd be fun anyway so like, i don't know there we go what's wrong with my hat great question Excellent. uh great jj stuff, pittsburgh yeah. um liz do you have any uh particular aviation memorabilia or anything that are that's mm, important to you no I don't. No? No. Nope. Okay. All righty then. Then we'll move on 
to the next item. Now you're going to show this article because of all the photos in it. Didn't that oh, that's right. Say? Thank you, yeah. Liz. I can I need to double click on this and I need to share my screen. Where are you? Here it is. And share screen. And sorry, that was a very talkative bird just outside my window there. I don't oh. know if you could hear that. Yeah, I can. I heard someone swearing. Was that it? Yes. Oh, okay. Hmm. Okay, if you can pop that one up, uh, Liz, on the screen. All right, so this is uh, some feedback from Robert N. Tucker, not Robert Tucker. Um, he said, uh, there, these are some interesting aviation articles coming out in the past week. Thought I would share with the crew and get any thoughts you all might have. Now, he did send this to us a while ago. Let's see. I'm not sure. Yeah, November 17th. It says last edited. Who knows when he actually sent it. But anyway, um, the first news item is uh, from newsweek.com. And uh, the headline is, Russia tells pilots to repair their own planes amid sanctions. Um, so uh, the comments came from Oleg Botarov, uh, Russia's deputy minister of industry and trade, speaking earlier uh, this month at the Eastern Economic Forum in Vladivostok during an address on air transport accessibility of the Far East and conditions of turbulence. Wow, what a name. Uh, together with the Ministry of Transport, we must train and certify pilots as universal fighters. They must simultaneously be pilots and aircraft technicians, and the equipment should provide for the possibility of field repairs in operation. Uh, we are talking about pilots, primarily of regional aviation, for which a fundamentally new system for maintaining the airworthiness of new types of domestic regional aircraft should be created. Um Anyway, the uh, Russian aviation sector has been badly hit by Western sanctions imposed following Vladimir Putin's uh, invasion of Ukraine on the 24th of February. Russian airlines were banned from the U.S., European Union, U.K., and Canadian airspace following the invasion. In retaliation, Moscow prohibited EU and Canadian airlines from its territory. For a period, Aeroflot Russia's flagship carrier suspended all international flights other than to Belarus. Uh, anyway, um, let's see. I'm going to scroll down a little bit. However, I want to make it crystal clear that this decision is not another sanction against Russia. It has been solely taken solely on the basis of technical and safety ground. Oh, wait. No, I should probably read the paragraph before it. Uh, the EU Commissioner for Transport, Adina Valian, Valian said that this was unrelated to the invasion of Ukraine, commenting, we are living in the context of Russia's unprovoked and unjustified military aggression against Ukraine. However, I want to make it crystal clear that this decision, this decision is not another sanction against Russia. It has been taken solely on the basis of technical and safety grounds. We do not mix safety with politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. What do you think about that? Um, so you're a pilot and you're a technician. You're going to fix your own airplane. Work for Rick. I feel like that's probably not what you signed up Rick for. Rick could do it. <laughs> probably not. In yeah, most Rick, cases. Miami Rick could Rick do could it. Rick could do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are some people out there who are, you know, they've mm -hmm. gotten their A&P or uh, maintenance technician Nick Camacho certificates soon in addition will do it. to their uh, mm -hmm. pilot. But those things don't 
necessarily have to go hand in hand. I mean, there's some basics that you need to know for, um, gosh, what do they call it? Uh, you know, just very, um, very basic maintenance oriented things, but certainly not being able to do large repairs on your aircraft That's or its scary. power plant in mm -hmm. most cases. So, uh, yeah, you make a good point, Liz. Nick Camacho is already um, a, a mechanic and he's, he's in the latter stages of getting his AMP um, certification, certification. And he's also a pilot as well. So in a way, he's already doing this kind of thing. But that's, you know, a private airplane. It's not <laughs> uh, a passenger transport category kind of uh, operations. Well, and I'm, I'm sure there's some people out there who are qualified to do yeah. both things, you know, just personal interests or past work experience. Um, but gosh, most people aren't doing both of those things like simultaneously. You know, there's a lot of um, maintenance of knowledge even to maintain and recency of experience for either flying and or aircraft maintenance, I would expect. So to ask someone to take on board all of those things together is, uh, it's probably doable, but it seems like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. When you say doable, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it's hard enough staying current on all the procedures and requirements of an airline pilot. Then you add the, an entirely new, uh, area of expertise that that of being uh, a maintenance engineer uh, and uh, you're going well s something's got to give because there's any certain level you can uh, get to if you're trying to uh, do that on top uh, and I, I personally go how is this making uh, aviation safer asking the pilots to now double up as engineers uh, because I don't think they'll be able to maintain that level ex of expertise than we currently have having uh, independent engineers. So uh, it's completely bemuses me as to how that improves flight safety. Well, I, I would say it's, it's not improving it. I think it's putting a Band-Aid on a terrible situation. This is an yeah. act of desperation, yeah. basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's appalling. I mean, obviously, uh, all airline pilots are given instruction on how to turn an airplane around to fuel it and put more engine oil in if it's required, that sort of thing. If there's no uh, qualified ground engineers to do that, how to fill out the tech log. But uh, in reality, most major airports have got people all capable of doing that. So mm. you, do, you very rarely practice this sort of thing. And usually when you do, uh, people make a complete hash of it because they <laughs> haven't done it for years. It says in August, Reuters reported uh, Aeroflot had started stripping some of its aircraft for, for parts after being cut off from Western equipment and servicing. Speaking to the news agency, an insider said an almost new Airbus A350 was being disassembled for parts. They also said equipment had been removed from a number of Aeroflot's Boeing 737s and Airbus 320s to keep other aircraft in flying condition. Uh, based on flight data, Reuters calculated 50 of Aeroflot's 360 aircraft haven't taken off at all since July. Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it is common for airlines to pinch the odd part from an aircraft that's not going to need it for a while to replace one that does need it what right now. call that cannibalizing? 
Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's a dreadful thing to have to do because it like doubles the man hours uh, to maintain it. Because not only have you got to take that out of an aircraft and do all the paperwork involved, you then got to install it in a new airplane, do all the paperwork involved in that, and then when it comes time to replacing it back in the original airplane, you've got to do the job a third time instead of just taking one off the shelf and fixing one airplane. You're now doing it with three different you know three different tasks so it's it's dreadfully bad for a man hour point of view an efficiency point of view uh the second article that uh robert uh sent us a link to is from businessinsider.com uh, aeroflot says it ordered more than 300 fully russified or russified uh, airliners take a look at the Irkut. MC-21 jet, the airline says, it will it will be its new flagship. Okay, so the reason why I'm sharing my screen now is because there are a bunch of photos in here. And so it's almost like a big slideshow. There's that MC-21 uh, picture on the top. Russia is desperate to end its reliance on Western-built technology. Uh, there's a picture of a 737 Aeroflot branded. Uh, in September, the Aeroflot Group, with, uh, which is the parent company of Russian national airline Aeroflot, announced it has signed uh, an agreement to buy 339 Russian-built planes from the state-owned United Aircraft Corporation. And uh, this, uh, the $16 billion order includes 40 Tupolev Tu-214s. It's a very similar design to the uh, Boeing 757, I'd say. Or I guess you could even say the... Airbus 321, uh, kind mm. of a long, skinny, narrow body uh, airplane. Uh, 89 Sukai Superjet, new or SSJ new aircraft. And 210 Irkut, is that the way you say that? Irkut? Irkut? Uh, MC 21s? I don't know. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Tupolev, Sukai, and Irkut are Russian plane makers and subsidiaries of UAC, United Aircraft Corporation. Aeroflot says the first two SSJ new jets will be received in 2023, and the Tupolev Tu-214 and MC-21 will begin deliveries in 2024. Um, so anyway, they have a bunch of pictures here of, uh, let's see, this is the Sukai, Sukhoi Superjet new fuselage. Um, scrolling down. Oh, you know what? Some of these pictures yeah, aren't they, showing up. No, they well, were no there. good. They were there. <laughs> yeah, they were there. What's going on here? Yeah, huh. I, in fact, I made sure they were all there. Anyway, something's happened. Yeah, something happened to our little uh, window here. So we'll figure it out. Um. Anyway, there are a lot of yeah. Russian planes going to be a lot of Russian airplanes, and we'll have a link to that article in our show notes, and you can you can take a look as well. I think we uh, should. Yeah, a lot of great pictures yeah. that we're not getting. There are. It's good. I mean, there is a reason why uh, Russia have so many Western airplanes. Uh, uh, that's because in the past, uh, the, the West have built much better quality aircraft, uh, much more economical. Uh, and most your big countries are much were much happier when Aeroflot were flying Western airplanes um, into Europe and into America because at times uh, the old airplanes that Russian airlines were flying were considered sometimes to have, to have such a poor safety record they weren't even allowed into certain countries. Um, 
I don't think that their uh, own industry is going to be able to design and build aircraft that are going to be better than uh, Boeing's and Airbus's. But, uh, so it's going to cost Russia in the long term, I'm afraid. Yep. It is. Looks like I reloaded the thing, and uh, it is now behaving a bit better. Yeah, you see, their airplanes, that one of the bottom, they don't even have wings. So I don't know how that's <laughs> Yeah, that's a safety issue right there, I tell yeah. you. Yeah. It's your nose cones. Yeah. Yeah. There's some... Um, okay. Yeah, see what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, look, that's that can't be aerodynamic. No. No, it's got a, it hasn't got a very pointy nose, even. <laughs> oh, maybe that's what it really looks like. A very pointy nose. Oh, look at that. There's one uh, um, Aeroflot uh, there at LAX. And some yeah, Delta tails in the background. That famous, That's an old Airbus there. That's a 300, isn't it? And, uh, oh, I don't know. That's not going to work very well, that person. There's a person in, in the in engine. Well, oh, that's a pilot, that's a pilot yeah. being well, a that's, mechanic. Well, that's because they run out of fuel and he's having to wind the engine around. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> that's, that's one of the pilots. That's how it works. It's, it's, like, a, it's like rubber band start. No, that's one of the pilots that has uh, become Performing a new maintenance. Uh, technician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And somebody told him he shouldn't be doing that when they're trying no, to start that that's engine. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's good. a learning well, curve. that's a safety thing. He's not in the cockpit to start the engine, so that's good. Yeah. Okay, there's uh, that Sukhoi uh, Superjet, new. Um, those look like Boeing's. Those look me. like Boeing's. <laughs> yeah, those okay. are Max. Uh, yeah. That's a Max, yes. Uh, let's see, the MC-21 uh, is dropping the American-made Pratt & Whitney PW-1000G engine for the Russian-built Avia, Aviad Vigetel PD-14, made by state-owned United Engine Corporation. So we have United <laughs> yeah. Aircraft Corporation and now United Engine Corporation. Uh, another shot of the MC-21. Yeah, it looks like a Spirit uh, color. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. Uh, so again, if you want to take a closer look at all these uh, pictures, uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. We're almost exactly at the two-hour mark now. All right. Our um, control room is telling me now that this would be the perfect time for us to play this episode's edition of The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. And so I'm frantically trying to find where to go to push the button that no pilot would ever push, if he, if he knew better anyway. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Here is The Old Pilot's Plain tale for this episode around the world in 20 days. The old pilot's plain tales around the world in 20 days. In 1872, Phineas Fogg and his valet Jean Passepartout circumnavigated the world in an effort to win a bet. Originally published as a serial, so contemporary and knowledgeably written, many thought that the story was real. Since the novel was published the following year, many have recreated the adventurous journey following in the footsteps of the fictitious characters from the famous starting point at the Reform Club in London through the exact list of cities and replicating every mode of transport except one, the balloon. This isn't because balloons aren't a practical way to travel, which is predominantly true, 
but because in the original story, Phineas Fogg didn't use one. Whilst balloons were well known in 1872 and Jules Verne, the author, described them in other books, the original novel lets Fogg dismiss balloons as useless for travel. What a sensible chap. It was the 1956 movie adaption of this famous novel that introduced this unlikely way of circumnavigating the world when Fogg purchases a hot air balloon from a Thomas Cook agent, which he succeeds in flying over the Alps, part of which is Mont Blanc at 15,781 feet, without oxygen. He spent the flight sipping champagne, which, at an outside seasonal temperature at his altitude of minus 25 degrees centigrade, minus 13 Fahrenheit, would have been well chilled if not frozen solid. Despite this, the film won five Oscars, including Best Motion Picture. Phineas chose an interesting design for his lighter-than-aircraft, since the most efficient balloons for long-distance travel are rosier balloons. Invented by Jean-Francois Pilatre de Rosier in 1784, his concept used a combination of a lifting gas and hot air within the same envelope, but in different chambers. This has the advantage over a typical hot air balloon, since the lifting gas can carry the majority of the craft's weight, and the lift from the hot air is less than is usually needed. This cuts down fuel consumption to a fraction of that needed and allows for very long flights. This concept, invented at the dawn of flight, was used by the most advanced record-breaking balloons in the world over 200 years later. Deleuzea's place in history comes not just from his balloon designs. He was one of two men who would be the very first to leave the Earth's surface and fly in an untethered aircraft. The French king, Louis XVI, had decided that the first man flight would contain two condemned criminals, but Deleuzea was determined to be the first. He persuaded the king that the honour of becoming the first balloonist should belong to someone of high status. The king acquiesced, so Dorosia and the Marquis de Londres clambered on board. The balloon that the Mongolfiers had constructed was their largest yet, and 75 feet 23 metres tall. It was made from taffeta and richly decorated with golden figures on a deep blue background. It rose from the platform containing a smoky fire, but on board there was a lit brazier to keep the balloon aloft. During the short flight, de Rosier noticed that burning embers were scorching the fabric and endangering the structure. He kept the fire at bay with damp sponges and by beating it out with his coat, whilst they rose to about 3,000 feet and drifted about nine kilometres, five and a half miles, staying airborne for 25 minutes. De Rosier went on to build his own balloons and planned to fly the English Channel with one of his own special designs, since the Montgolfier balloons couldn't carry enough fuel to stay aloft for the required time. 
He supplemented the hot air with hydrogen gas, but before he could get his project off the ground, he was beaten to the punch by a Frenchman, Jean-Pierre Blanchard, and an American, Dr. John Jeffries, who made the journey from England to France in early 1785. Despite this, with a companion, he set off from Bologna-sur-Mer to fly from France to England in a rosier balloon. After a good start, fickle winds blew him back overland. Then tragedy struck. Perhaps not surprisingly, the mixture of hot air and the highly flammable hydrogen gas resulted in fire that deflated the balloon overhead Wimaru, causing it to fall over a thousand feet. Both men were killed. Nevertheless, Rosier had assured his place in history, and his design is one that balloonists today make practical use of. The modern version of the Rosier balloon looks more like a spaceship than the earliest form of air travel invented by man. The renowned company Cameron Balloons constructed all three Rosier balloons that have completed successful non-stop flights around the world, and they are also responsible for three-quarters of the world's specially shaped balloons. Early ones were personally designed by the aeronautical engineer Don Cameron himself, and out of his factory came the Fantasia Castle, a bust of Beethoven, trucks, shoes, telephones, motorcycles, dinosaurs, dogs, rabbits, and even Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, all of which have provided a colourful extravaganza in our skies. The technical aspects of a record-breaking rosier balloon present a markedly different challenge from creating a flying minion. Minions hardly need the advanced Kevlar and carbon fibre composite weave, lightweight burners, titanium fuel cylinders and pressurised gondolas required to allow a balloon to fly in the stratosphere, where the temperature can easily reach minus 70 centigrade and the air is so thin that without an artificially created atmosphere for the pilots, death would be startlingly rapid. Cameron's reputation as a leading light in his craft has been recognised worldwide, since 85% of the balloons from his family-run factory in Bristol are shipped abroad. Don survived an attempt at achieving a transatlantic flight when weather brought him down within sight of the French coast, but others didn't. There were 14 previously known attempts that killed five crew members. The first was in 1873 and only travelled 45 miles, but the fate of some others is still unknown. The balloon Free Life was launched from East Hampton, New York, in 1970, piloted by Malcolm Brighton with Rodney Anderson and Pamela Brown on board. When the pilot, whom they had been counting on for the flight, withdrew close to the time of departure, Anderson hired Englishman Malcolm Brighton, 32, whose ascent in the free life was to be his 100th and his last. The free life attempt was the first to use a rosier-style balloon for an Atlantic attempt. Built by Mark Seamich, it used a combination of helium and hot air. Below the spherical helium gas cell was a conical sleeve where air could be heated by burners in the same way as a normal hot air balloon. By varying the hot air temperature, altitude could be maintained without having to release helium or drop ballast. 
The burners were principally used to compensate for the lack of solar heating at night. The weather was perfect. Families picnicked and parted. The giant yellow, white and orange balloon, seven stories tall, was spectacular. Spirits were high, and the 1,500 well-wishers seemed to share a sense of participating in something extraordinary, cheering their ascent. Disaster struck 30 hours after launch. A hot-air mechanism designed to maintain the balloon's altitude at night failed when it encountered a high-altitude cold front and a severe rainstorm they were forced into a night ditching in the Atlantic about 600 miles southeast of Newfoundland. The last message from the Free Life was, We are ditching. We request search and rescue. For 14 days the waters were searched, but all that was found were a few items from the gondola. Light Heart was a different design, consisting of a sealed and pressurised envelope suspended from a cluster of ten super-pressure balloons. In theory, such a balloon can retain a constant altitude over very long-distance flights. After his takeoff in February 1974, Colonel Thomas Lee Gatch Jr. suffered a failure of one of the balloons which slightly reduced his ability to attain the planned 39,000 feet. Gatch maintained radio contact with passing airliners, at least two of which had to manoeuvre to avoid his craft. His last contact was with BOAC Flight 583, at which point he was nearly a thousand miles northeast of Puerto Rico. He continued to drift south of his planned course, passing well to the west of the Canary Islands, drifting towards Africa at a mere thousand feet. The gondola was boat-shaped and designed to float, but no trace of the balloon or its intrepid pilot were ever found. The Atlantic was eventually conquered by a pure helium balloon, Double Eagle II, flown by Ben Abrizzo, Larry Newman and Maxie Anderson. The first double eagle had failed in its attempt when, after being blown off course, it was forced to ditch three miles off the coast of Iceland. On the second attempt, having left from Presque Isle in Maine, they landed 137 hours six minutes later in a field of barley near Paris, despite being offered the opportunity of touching down at Le Bourget Airport where Charles Lindbergh had landed, having covered a little over 3,000 miles. When it came time to return to the United States, Air France gave the pilots and their spouses free tickets on Concorde to make their journey home. Other successful transatlantic flights were made, such as Sir Richard Branson and Pierre Lindstrand's flight in the hot air balloon, the Virgin Atlantic Flyer. The balloon was the largest ever flown at 2.29 million cubic feet and used solar heat absorbing fabric to boost the effect of the propane gas burners heating the air. Whilst the two-man capsule was pressurised to allow the crew to survive at high altitudes. Despite losing a fuel tank on takeoff, everything went as planned, with them picking up a jet stream, a current of fast-moving air in the upper atmosphere, at only 27,000 feet, which boosted their ground speed to 130 miles an hour. The flight progressed perfectly until the landing phase, 
With fog reported in their landing area in Scotland, they decided to bring the balloon down in Northern Ireland. Touching down 31 hours and 41 minutes after takeoff, they immediately bounced airborne again and continued up to avoid power cables. Now repeatedly dipping into the Irish Sea, the explosive bolts that would release the gondola failed, so they decided to abandon the balloon, with Lindstrand jumping first. Before Branson could join him, the change in weight took the Virgin Atlantic flyer back up to height, leaving him stranded on board. Branson managed to bring the balloon back down to a height from which he could jump safely. With the Atlantic well and truly conquered, the next challenge was the Pacific Ocean. In one respect, this was an easier option, since the jet streams over the Atlantic change frequently, whereas the subtropical jet streams form two almost continuous bands of fast-moving air about 30 degrees from the equator. Compared to the Atlantic crossing, however, this would be a marathon. Ben Abruzzo and Larry Newman, however, had again beaten Branson to the punch in their helium balloon Double Eagle 5. They took off from Japan on the 10th of November 1981 with Ron Clark and the thrill-seeking restaurateur Rocky Aoki on board. They spent four days, 84 hours and 31 minutes to be precise, carefully navigating the balloon along the jet streams until, weighed down by ice and buffeted by a storm, they crash-landed in Northern California, ending the nearly 6,000-mile flight. The success of Ben Abruzzo's flight didn't dampen Richard Branson's effort, and his new balloon was even larger than the previous one. At 220 feet high, it would have dwarfed the Statue of Liberty. Their target wasn't just to be the first hot air balloon to cross the Pacific Ocean, but a bigger one. Sadly, as they flew away from the southern tip of Japan and started their long journey, an accident with the balloon's controls put paid to any hope of something bigger. They managed to jettison two-thirds of their full propane fuel canisters. Lindstrom did the calculations. There was little point in ditching where they were, nearly a thousand miles from Japan, but they had to finish the crossing in only 30 hours. It meant keeping up an average ground speed of over 170 miles an hour from then on. That no manned hot air balloon had ever crossed the Pacific or attained a speed of 170 miles an hour didn't really matter when it was their only chance. They took it, riding a jet stream at speeds reaching 218 miles an hour. The next day they slammed back to Earth on an unnamed frozen lake deep in Canada's Northwest Territories. It was the longest manned balloon flight ever, helium or hot air, at 6,700 miles in 46 hours, 16 minutes and at an average speed of 145 miles an hour. Since then, the ultimate goal of a round-the-world balloon flight has been achieved three times, and the first was by Bertrand Picard and Brian Jones in a Cameron R650 Rosier balloon called Breitling Orbiter 3. Steve Fawcett, Branson and Lindstrand attempted a rival flight the year before from the Moroccan desert. 
Branson was to fly over the Himalayas, violate Chinese airspace, and cross North Korea. But despite their best efforts, they crash-landed in Hawaii on Christmas Day after falling out of the jet stream. Picard and Jones's journey began amongst the majesty of the Swiss Alps, ascending into the morning air amid the cheers of thousands of spectators. During that first day of flight, they had beautiful views of Mont Blanc and the Matterhorn. They passed over Italy, then flew south and west over Mauritania to catch the jet stream eastward. By the fifth day, they were over Libya, They raised and lowered their altitude to ride the optimum jet streams at the right speeds so that their path eastward was as controlled as possible. Over southern Egypt, the Sudan, and then India and Bangladesh before the difficult task of crossing China without going over the forbidden 26th parallel. It was a close call. But then they faced a 10,000-mile stretch of water across the Pacific. For six days, they were almost becalmed before the right jet developed and rushed them on over Mexico. They began drifting down to Venezuela until they climbed high enough to pick up the currents they needed to continue. Back on course, over Jamaica, they only had four out of 32 fuel tanks remaining. Despite their concerns, they maintained their progress to cross their original track over Mauritania after 19 days, 21 hours and 47 minutes of flight that covered 26,050 miles. The successful balloon circumnavigation by Picard and Jones in 22 days stands as an impressive technological accomplishment and an inspiring testament to human endeavour. Wow. Talk about (laughs) some accomplishments, and very impressive that the old pilot decided to cover I know. All, this balloon All these stuff. balloons. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking about, you know, people going around the world and they've done it on bicycles and they people have walked it and all these things. So I thought, well, a balloon is just about as silly as it gets. So. <laughs> Why not? I, you know, I thought, it, speaking of silly things, I was looking at that very last picture there and they have their blood types like in patches. On oh, the yeah. I like, why? That. Why? Yes. Like, if you ditch in the ocean, what, what good is that going to do them? I'm not real sure. It'll be interesting uh, to the point. fish. <laughs> I guess. And you can also tell what kind of watches they have. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> no, actually, to be fair, it was one of the the last barriers uh, for um, you know any explorer really was to uh, go around the world. Just using the the winds that are available, and it required, I guess, a, a lot of skill. But nowadays, we're so good at predicting where the jet streams are, what height they're at, etc. It, it would, you know, as time went on, it became a lot easier, I mm-hmm. think, for the balloonists to predict exactly where to be Weather and what height to be. Yeah, yeah. Earlier on, I think it was a bit more, <laughs> a bit more. Oh, it was a lot work. more cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Yeehaw! Oh yeah, yeehaw! Absolutely. So, but I, I was always intrigued by it because, because my boss was up there with the rest of them trying to, you know, get these records, 
And uh, we're, uh, when I would do interviewed for Virgin, I asked them, I said, this bloke, you know, he keeps trying to do transatlantic uh, boat, speedboat uh, rides. And he, he sank in one to, to get records. And then he's trying the ballooning. What happens if he dies? I mean, what happens to the company? <laughs> the company. Yeah. yeah. And they, they looked at me and said, that's a very good question, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably I there's some sort of line of succession that's already been thought out for. Well, possibly. I don't know. Yes. They didn't, they didn't say. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Have, anyway, luckily he didn't. Ted, have either of you ever been up in a hot air balloon before? No. I have not. For, um, sensible people. Yeah. So um, I think um, probably more than half of the entertainment value of this uh, plane tale was being here uh, while we're recording live, watching the video and the live audience and all the very, very funny comments being made. Oh, yes. yes there was. <laughs> like Nick was talking yeah. a lot of hot air in this one. And uh, yeah. uh, Neil says, it's all blown over now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, Neil. Neil a, was doing a, very well. A crazy said, balloon pilot. Once he was a basket case. A basket yeah, case. that's the one I was going to uh, read out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh God. Yeah. It's a bit <laughs> so, in the air at the moment. You can you Excellent. can read the uh, the re uh, what do they call that the replay, replay. of the comments, comments being made by uh, heading over to youtube.com slash airline pilot guy. Which is or join our, us yeah, in the chat YouTube channel, or you can yeah join us live, and you too can make some really funny comments, uh, <laughs> yeah, really yeah. inane comments. And to uh, all our listeners who love ballooning, you uh, you're very Fair special hair. people. You're very special, like like the special <laughs> yeah. bus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They go to maybe just a couple schools. more, Jeff. Yeah, we're thinking uh, that maybe just a couple of more pieces of feedback, and then we'll just kind of make it a shorter show for this Black Friday edition. And eleven, okay. Let's scroll down to eleven. Eleven from anonymous, uh, dear Captain Nick. Gradually catching up with my podcast backlog. So maybe this, he should read this. Yeah, maybe he maybe he should, Liz. Nick, would you like to read this from uh, anonymous regarding plane? Oh, tales? sure. Okay. I, I, I'm just going to cut down my beer drinking time, but there you go. Oh, that's Dear good Captain thing. Nick, <laughs> gradually, <laughs> probably, gradually catching up with my podcasting backlog. So this feedback's a bit tardy. Thank you for such a well-told tale of an absolutely horrifying accident, although the actions of some of the management and maintenance personnel border on the criminal rather than the accidental. And he is talking about the Nation Air DC-8 tyre failure story I did a little while ago. Uh, I confess to having a professional interest in the topic of correct tyre pressure maintenance. I'm a systems expert at EASA and have been so for the last 16 years, specialising in hydromechanical systems and flight control certification of aircraft and a rotor craft. I also perform ETSO, E-T-S-O, approval of old tyres, wheels and brakes. Prior to this, I was responsible for the certification of the ATA-32, the landing gear systems, at Airbus in Filton, uh, which I think Bristol, Bristol Filton, yes. The accident you described has been seminal in the development of many regulations and design features intended to minimise the probability of a repeat event. 
Fire detection loops are common in landing gear bays into which brakes are retracted. Brake temperatures, sorry, brake temperature monitoring systems are used to provide a warning before a hot brake is retracted into a bay, or if the hot brake is detected after retraction, a warning is provided and the crew can extend the gear to cool it. But <coughs> Excuse me. You know this because the aircraft you flew had these protections in place. In addition, testing requirements have been improved at component level for tyres, wheels and brakes. Recently, the CS25 has been amended to require that, I quote, uh, means must be provided to minimise the risk that a tyre is below its minimum serviceable inflation pressure during operation. End quote. Uh, similarly, uh, regul sorry, similar regulatory material has also been introduced in CS26. Uh, additional airworthiness specifications for operations so that in-service aircraft have a level of protection against tyre under inflation. Of course, no amount of regulatory material can eliminate errors in the systems operated by humans who are flawed, complacent, and sometimes lazy, or, this is me speaking in the case of this particular accident, criminal. The whole industry needs to realise that while tyres are remarkable pieces of engineering in themselves, they need to be cared for by checking their pressures daily, keeping foreign object damage, FOD, out of the way, in brackets, Concorde, and we all know about that accident, minimising skids and generally monitoring their condition during walk-arounds. I wonder how many of us who do walk-arounds take a really good look for cuts and nicks and uh, indications of hydroplaning and damage, etc., if you're looking for more plain tail material, admittedly on the same topic of tyre inflation, you could look at the Learjet in Columbia, SC. SC. South Carolina. South Carolina. You, oh, I, have you not you. done a plain tail on South This South is actually, I mean, it's well known here, obviously, because of who was on board this particular aircraft, if I think he's referring who to. Who was on board? Because I haven't. It was a musician. Um, I can send you the information. I think this is the one he's referring to. I'll have to double check. All right. I'm pretty well, sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. this was back in 2008. A musician right. of a, a well-known um, punk rock band here in the U.S. Okay, interesting. Uh, please keep up the excellent plane tales, and if they can be used to highlight safety concerns, so much the better. And I agree. I, I think this is a, a fantastic way, of, if you're a professional pilot, or indeed any kind of a pilot, of doing your homework. Uh, I don't mind if you want to read this out in the podcast, but please protect my identity, and we shall do so. Uh, all the best. Keep the blue side up. Any mouse. <laughs> Any mouse will do. Any mouse. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I think that's a fantastic um, bit of feedback. Thank you very much indeed for your kind comments. But more importantly, uh, sort of giving us the reassurance that accidents like this uh, – as terrible as it was, this this Nation Air DC-8, um, it caused a sort of changing gear uh, when it comes to the monitoring of w what was obviously then considered a, a pretty trivial problem with the airplane. Uh, they didn't perhaps realise 
Perhaps it wasn't as publicised as it is now. Although I still think that a lot of people would go, oh, there's only 20 PSI difference between these tyres. Uh, let's just go. We'll take that. Uh, without realising the risk they put themselves in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Annie Mouse. And uh, you said... off with number 12. Number 12. We're going to end today. Well, you could probably do on one more after this one. Um, 12 and maybe numbers, uh, number 7. Oh, yeah. That might be the best way yeah. to end it. Oh, okay. yeah, that's good. Right on. Um, yep. So number 12 from Greg, uh, formerly our big-ass fan, um, and now uh, working for a big-ass crane company. Uh, hope everyone is doing well. I'm writing this on the day before Thanksgiving here in the U.S., so I hope everyone, well, at least Jeff, Steph, Rick, and Nick C., had a happy Thanksgiving and are recovering from their food comas. Just barely. Uh, I'm writing with uh, little additional information about the Cirrus Aircraft Parachute System, CAPS, at least what I know about it from a first-hand look. In August of 2021, I interviewed and was offered a job at Cirrus in Duluth, Minnesota. I ultimately had to turn down the job after accepting it and turning in my resignation at Big Ass Fans, but that's a story for a different day. While I was in Duluth for my on-site interview, I got a tour of the Cirrus plant and saw how they assemble the aircraft and install the caps. Any of you that built model airplanes from the plastic kits as a kid, imagine that on, imagine that on a giant scale. Uh, the Cirrus fuselage, at least uh, for the propeller aircraft, is actually composed of two fiberglass halves split down the center of the aircraft and then glued together, just like you would assemble one of those old plastic model kits. The caps is located in a compartment behind the passenger cabin. If you've ever seen a photo of a Cirrus aircraft with the caps deployed, you'll notice that the straps on the parachute are attached to the front of the aircraft right behind the firewall and to the rear of the aircraft just in front of the tail. So how do they pre-install the strap from behind the passenger cabin to the front of the aircraft, you ask? Well, there's a channel molded into the fuselage half that runs from the caps compartment to the front of the aircraft. When the caps are installed, uh, the strap is laid in that channel and then covered by breakaway material prior to finishing and paint. When the caps is deployed, that strap breaks out of the channel and the parachute catches the airplane. Jeff mentioned that the aircraft is basically destroyed by uh, the Cirrus aircraft um, parachute system deployment, which is probably a pretty accurate statement since the straps basically rip a portion of the side of the fuselage away at deployment, but at least the occupants land relatively unscathed. It was interesting to see the assembly process, and I just thought I would share my unprofessional view of what I saw. How very unprofessional of you, Greg. Um, happy flying, everyone. Blue skies and tailwinds. Your formerly big-ass fan, Greg Peterson. Wow, good info. Great info, yeah. I like the uh, the photo there. That's interesting to see how it... Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, to me, it reminded me of a, a whaler trying to harpoon a whale. And I was just <laughs> thinking, if if you managed to fire that into a 747, you could probably catch a ride. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, would, For a uh, while there, I was, uh, you know, I'd flown the, some of the Sears aircraft a fair amount. And, you know, the the um, cap system has this little red pin up, uh, up, uh, 
above the pilot and co-pilot. And we always referred to it as the grenade pin because it kind of seemed like it was, you know, you pull it out like a grenade pin, mm-hmm. basically. And this kind of makes me think of that as well with that solid. Ask Steph if, if and... she thinks that having the parachute causes people to be a little riskier. You know okay. how we had that discussion? Yeah. Um, Liz and I were having a discussion about the uh, the, the parachute, the caps um, on the Cirrus aircraft. And I, I think there was actually some studies and parachutes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah we, we talked about it on the show, I guess, about how, um, you know, it, it has indeed um, helped Cirrus sell more aircraft, I'm sure, because of the safety aspects. Uh, but we are wondering uh, your opinion about the fact that it may also perhaps encourage pilots piloting that particular aircraft um, them to do things, maybe push the boundaries a little bit more than they would um, knowing that they have this, you know, this backup system to get them out of trouble if they, you know. So I haven't heard that criticism necessarily. I've heard criticism that um, perhaps pilots are too quick to use it in emergency situations, but I don't know that you could ever go back and, criticize someone for making that judgment if they really thought that they were not going to be able to land the aircraft um, safely otherwise, you know, if you're not there at that, uh, unless you had some very compelling evidence to say, oh, yeah, that was absolutely the wrong decision to make. Um, The only incident that really comes to mind um, with regards to maybe pushing things too far was the guy who was trying to ferry one to Hawaii. Um, And I don't know if uh, there was a fuel planning calculation problem, whatever, but basically ran out of fuel over the Pacific Ocean and used the caps to uh, gently touch down into the Pacific Ocean, quite near a um, a cruise ship, if I recall correctly. Hmm. And with plenty of altitude and time to make you know emergency distress calls and have rescue folks awaiting. And there's great uh, outside video from rescue helicopter. Um, yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah. So That's I the guess you spent I the rest of the of. night in the bar. perhaps i would yeah Yeah. after that yeah my flying Uh, career's just gone up the chute so yeah i'll have a beer no pun intended so wasn't there one just recently and i think it was a the vision jet also has the system the vision jet has the system and i think there was a vision jet not too long ago that actually flew into a thunderstorm well didn't work out very well no that probably didn't go great (laughs) (laughs) you know these things these these serious aircraft cost quite a a bit of money but as with other things in life sometimes having money doesn't always equate to good decision making nor happiness nor happiness (laughs) so keep that in mind folks yes Number seven. okay and finally we're going to wrap it up with uh, this from our good friend um, Larry Gregory he likes to call himself Larry Geezer Um, and it's a uh, it's a cartoon from, uh, of course, our favorite cartoonist, Gary Larson. Um, and uh, there, it shows the front of an airplane uh, with the, you see through the cockpit windows of the two pilots talking to each other. And the, the uh, first three windows on the left side of the aircraft with passenger faces and facial expressions. Quite large eyeballs. Yes, very large eyeballs. <laughs> and so the reason why they're, the, they're having uh, this expression is, uh, this is what the... Um, Pilots are saying in the cockpit, the fuel light's on, Frank. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Wait, wait. Oh, my mistake. That's the intercom light. <laughs> 
But Larry asked you guys a question. Uh, oh, he's got to love it. Yeah, he asks a question with yeah. regards ever, to this. Have you this? ever done this? And uh, I think he me, more so means have you ever um, accidentally transmitted on the PA on something? The, that, on the PA or the wrong frequency or. Um, yes, but yeah, I've never said anything see. about like the fuel lights on, we're going to die. No. Uh, I've not yet done that. Yeah. <laughs> no, just have, wait to your last flight. You want me to yeah. put one aircraft with a little bit of a twitchy um, intercom or um, um, frequency switch button that you can use. Mm-hmm. But if you're not paying close attention, it'll switch to the one you want to go to and then right back to the previous one. Oh. Um, pretty quick order. And I've, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah Sorry, approach. I did not mean to tell you that. <laughs> have a nice. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could get you yourself you really. Oh, yeah. Really out of phase doing that without realizing it, couldn't you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially sometimes there's times we're trying to juggle three frequencies, but we really only have two radios. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we only have two radios, so you're having to switch and also flip flop one, and oh, that golly. gets a little uh, tricky oh, sometimes. Who, who wants you to work three frequencies, or is it partly because you're throwing people out of the airplane? It's because we're throwing people out of the airplane. No, so okay. a lot of times what we'll do, so we have to be on um, frequency with uh, approach because we're in the Bravo airspace, so they yeah. have to give us permissions to Bravo. be there. Bravo. We have to talk on our local um, common traffic advisory frequency to um, warn other planes in the area that there's going to be some parachutes okay, in the yeah. air and if we have two aircraft in the air it's almost impossible for us to talk to each other on our common traffic advisory frequency because we can hear everything from like a 400 mile radius away which renders it very unusable so we usually just use a discrete unused frequency in the area where we can talk to each other and that's the one where you really have to be careful if you mean to gotcha. talk on that one and you talk on one of the other ones especially instead. if you're making comments about <laughs> air traffic controllers sometimes yeah <laughs> we Absolutely. never do that we love our air traffic I know controllers you do. we love them i'm sure some of them are listening to uh-huh. okay uh-huh. let's wrap yes. it up baby okay time to wrap it up from the control room so uh let's go ahead and uh, talk about our website airlinepilotguy.com uh, you should check it out because it's it's up and running still and you want to check it out before it goes down again so um, it's airlinepilotguy.com where and you can find information get some more feedback. about uh, the crew and the community and the community calendar, library, plane tales, uh, so much more. So check it out. And we love to get feedback. And uh, probably one of the best ways to send it to us is to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And you can make a recording, an audio recording with your phone or whatever kind of device and attach it to the email and send it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, there are other ways to do it as well on the website. So just check it out. And we all are bleh, are also on social media or what I like to call the social meds. And Steph, thank goodness you're back. Would you like to tell us all about? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was going to say you like to call it the social meds just like you like to call it a pod. Yes. But if you oh, want to find that. out more about our pod on the social meds, you should head over to Facebook. We're on Touché. Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. And you can also find us on Twitter. We are at APG crew with our individual Twitter handles also pinned to the top of that page. And um, the much neglected Instagram, also APG mm. crew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll probably continue yeah, to be whatever. neglected. Yeah. So that's might be, I'll put that on my New Year's resolutions of things to uh, jump back the into. First but I wouldn't. That you'll not. I will definitely break that one first. <laughs> yeah. Almost immediately, it's certain. But you know what? Um, Slack is going strong. So oh, you forgot our you new uh, our new TikTok oh. channel, though, um, Steph. 
Oh, no, who's in charge kidding. of that? We, we, we haven't started <laughs> no. the TikTok. Is that, is that Captain Nick <laughs> yeah, on the TikTok yeah. singing? Well, for all well, your all your I've, I've got enough clocks, thank you. Yeah, yeah he's for, he's now. In I that think it would be a good um, uh, medium for singing songs with um, offensive lyrics. It would. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, I, he, he goes by Captain TikTok. Captain TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So check that out. It's coming soon, apparently. Yes. Um, and also Slack. Uh, did we ever decide if is Hillel in my bathroom or your I bathroom? I think he's here. I heard something a little bit earlier. Let me see here if I can. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. I hear the one. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Hillel. What did you feed him for hello. Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> Slack? Beans? And full of uh, bean stuff. Anyway. Casserole. Methane gas. Yeah. So come over here and, um, yeah, sit down and tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you so much. Uh, hello. Oh, my. Um, <laughs> I'll teach you. Yeah, right on. As soon as the show's over. Thank you. All right. Always appreciate Hillel and all the hard work he does. And uh, we also want to thank our controller, not controller, Great. our control room producer, director. I'm going to hit this darn microphone stand again. And here we go. Applause, applause. Thank you so much, Liz. Without you, it would not be anything, any good. So thank you. My pleasure. Okay. And uh, finally, we'd like to say thank you to our live audience and to all of you out there listening, watching, telling everybody about our show. And uh, thank you so much for being out there. We love you. And uh, with that, take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Goodbye, West Point. On the hatch. Bye, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's up in the sky. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline